When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Well, hello, hello, hello. Start of a brand new week. Welcome aboard. You know, I, I like to do the show standing once in a while, and I just realized that there is a standing desk in here, but I can't get... Oh, wait a minute. Is this how you elevate it? I was going to say, I can't elevate it. Um, ah, I like this. Okay. Uh, after the next break, I may do the show standing. The only thing that makes it a little bit of a hurdle is I can't necessarily reach the phones to control the callers, which I like to do. So we'll see. Uh, I like to stand. Sometimes I just stand even at the conventional desk, but I didn't realize... This whole time that we have a standing desk here. All right. Uh, sometimes standing can, you know, keep, keeps the blood flowing, keeps you energetic. It's a nice thing. And sometimes it uh, makes for better voice projection. All right. Uh, a lot to get to today. Uh, we're going to get into the life and times of George Reeves, who played Superman in just a minute. But uh, this is going to be the next five to ten minutes simultaneously the most insignificant portion of the show. And the most useful portion of the show. What do I mean by that? Well, in the next 10 minutes, we're not going to talk about anything substantial. We're not going to talk about anything that will affect your life in any meaningful way. However, this is going to be one of the most useful items to you personally. Now, we're in summer. And there are a lot of opportunities to read. A lot of folks like hanging out on the beach. A lot of folks are finding themselves on airplanes. And the two things that you can do if you're on a beach or on an airplane or if you find yourself just with some unexpected time off is to read a book. And I know a lot of folks are always looking for book recommendations. So I thought it might be fun for people that, I don't know, maybe they read frequently, maybe they read not so frequently. I thought it might be fun for us to put together a list of book recommendations for people for the summer. Whether we're talking a beach read, whether we're talking a long plane ride, there's a lot of opportunities to read. If someone asked you, give me a book recommendation, what would you tell them? 800-848-9222. That is indeed the question with which we begin. A question. Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. Doesn't matter the genre, just something that people will enjoy. I jotted down just off the top of my head a couple of uh, a couple of things that I think people will enjoy. One is um, the if you like history, uh, you know, you're you always hear me going on and on about um, 
James Garfield. You, I cannot think of a better history book that I've read than Destiny of the Republic. Destiny of the Republic tells you everything you ever wanted to know about James Garfield but were afraid to ask. And the unique nexus that his life had with Alexander Graham Bell. I'm just going to give you one little snippet from the book. It's by Candace Millard. It's a wonderful book. And I've wanted to interview Candace Millard uh, many times. Uh, she's always busy writing. She's never available for these radio interviews. And because she wrote another book about Theodore Roosevelt that I enjoyed very much called uh, River of Doubt, I think it was called. But Candace Millard writes this book. James Garfield, just to give you an idea of how bright a guy he was, first of all, was a war hero. Uh, a politician, and before that, though, he wanted to go to college, but he couldn't afford to go to college. So he starts working at the college as a janitor just so he can audit classes. Within a short time of him working as a a janitor, he's almost like a real-life goodwill hunting, they make him a professor at that college, not never even having graduated. Then, ultimately, he subsequently did. Never ran for president was giving the nominating speech for someone else in 1880, and they said they couldn't settle on a nominee. Uh, They were divided between, I believe the two factions of the GOP at the time, were divided between Ulysses S. Grant, who was seeking a third term, and I I believe the other faction was with James Blaine. And they couldn't settle on a nominee. Garfield gave one of the most moving speeches that anybody had ever heard. They nominated him. He was one of the early dark horse presidential candidates, not running – They selected him. So then he's walking around Union Station and he gets shot. Who's with him when he gets shot? Robert Todd Lincoln. Robert Todd Lincoln, the son of Abraham Lincoln, who was with his father when when his father ultimately got killed. So uh, and then, by the way, he was in Buffalo when William McKinley was shot. So he was at or near three presidential assassinations. And then uh, after that, he wisely realized that he was maybe bad luck. He started declining every presidential <laughs> invitation. But they didn't kill him. It didn't, they didn't kill him. And this is what they get into in the book in a big way. Doctors killed James Garfield. And they stuck their filthy, dirty hands into his wound and infected him, and he got sepsis. He died not from a bullet but from an infection. But they were very eager to get this bullet out of him. So what they did was they went to the smartest man in America at the time, Alexander Graham Bell. They said, Mr. Mr. Alexander Graham Bell, you have to come up with a way for us to find this bullet and get it out of the president. So listen to what Alexander Graham Bell does. Brilliant man that he was. He invents a metal detector. He invents a metal detector. Basically, on demand, a metal detector invented and so he, they go and start using this metal detector to determine where the bullet is. Now, they knew this metal detector worked. It had been beeping like crazy. It worked. They tested it. So the problem is this. They did not tell Bell that Garfield was on a very rare bed that had a metal box spring. So because there were metal springs on the bed that Garfield was on, this metal detector was going off like crazy. So they were probing more and more different spots to look for this bullet. And ultimately, unfortunately, he died. But it's such an interesting story, and he's a president that doesn't get talked about too often. And there's some interesting things about Chester A. Arthur in there. So if you like history, 
Um, and it's not just for politicos. If you like any sort of American history, it is a wonderful, wonderful book that I can't recommend highly enough if you're into history. It's called Destiny of the Republic, 800-848-9222. That's my first recommendation. It's a few years old now. Maybe it's about 10 years old. It's a page turner. It's wonderful. It's a quick read. It's not a short book, but it's a quick read because it's written in plain English and it's a real page turner. But I have a couple other that I wrote down. I I I would love to hear yours. If someone asks you, for a recommendation for a beach read or for, you know, something to read poolside or to lounge under the stars with the patio light or to read on an airplane as they head out to vacation, what would you tell them? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Let me begin with Daniel in Queens. Hello, Daniel. Hey there. Good morning, Frank. How's it going? Great. Thanks. So, uh, yeah, the books, um, I always appreciate that you mentioned Douglas Adams sometimes. He doesn't get a lot of mentions on American mm. talk radio, but I always think of some of the nuttiness that is seen now. I think sometimes, what would Douglas Adams do or say? And um, it's like a parody that's unable to be authored. But anyway, about the suggestion. By the way, just let me interject here, Daniel. If people are unfamiliar sure. with Douglas Adams, He's the author of what, what it's a fiction book, but one of the funniest books that I've ever read, uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And the first three books in that series are just wonderful. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Restaurant at the End of the Universe is the second one. And then the third is Life, the Universe and everything. The, the, after that, it kind of you know gets a little silly. He also wrote another interesting book called uh, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. So if people are into fiction, mm-hmm. uh, that's certainly a uh, th- those are all recommendations I stand behind. But go ahead, what were you going to say? Yeah, I just wanted yeah, what you well said too about the books, but the most important thing about The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, its genesis block was a being a radio drama and I think the late 70s, the books came after that. Right, right. So the real uncut is the original BBC radio broadcast. It represents some absolutely wonderful work from the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. Killer performances. Mark Wing Davy as Zaphod Beeblebrox is so brilliant, I can't even imagine. But um, I think you taught at NYU for a little bit as well. I don't mean to start talking about school on the air, but um, I know he did do some NYU time. Thought it was great. So, oh, yeah, the book, the book recommendation. Um, so this one's nonfiction. And uh, it's called, We've Had 100 Years of Psychotherapy and the World's Getting Worse by James Hillman and Michael Ventura, 1992. I love this. This looks great. I've never heard of this book, uh, but I'm just looking at this now. This sounds really interesting. And uh, are the authors still alive? Maybe I could have one of them on the show. Well, the great thing about it, I haven't read the book yet. I just ordered a copy. Oh. I don't know. Oh, no, I just looked. James out, Hillman but... died, unfortunately. All right, so this looks huh. like an interesting book, but um, read it and then call me back. Let me know how it is. Yeah, I'll get back to you in a couple of weeks. It uh, was recommended to me from a depth psychologist. Got cool. that? Depth psychologist. Oh, I get it. I he get it. a lot of illusions. Thank you, Frank. Yeah, thank, thank you for all your, thank uh, your programming. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you very much. Um, you know what, though? I feel like I, I, Daniel seems like a great guy. And so there's nothing against him. But I feel like if you're going to recommend a book, with people have very limited time. It takes me forever to read a book now. I used to read a book a week. Now, with these crazy hours and caring for an eight-month-old, I, I don't get to read at all. 
I mean, uh, for for leisure. I get to read in the course of doing this show, but I don't get to read for leisure. But I feel like if you're going to recommend a book, I mean, call me crazy. It should actually be a book that you've read, not a book that somebody has recommended to you. And I'm not trying to be a stickler here, but the whole thing about, I mean, uh, would you ever recommend a film to someone that you haven't seen? Hey, you should see that Top Gun. Oh, did you see it? No, (laughs) but I heard it was good. That's almost what Daniel did there. Let me hear your recommendations, though. 800-848-9222-1234567 open lines. Loretta is in New Rochelle. Hello, Loretta. Hi, Frank. Um, I um, read a book maybe about 10 years or so ago that um, it it stuck with me. Uh, And that's how you know that the book is good because you learn a lot and you always remember it. It, it was called uh, Nothing to Envy, Ordinary Lives in North Korea. And it's a book about um, the, um, stories from people who have managed to escape North Korea. And they, they tell, you know, their real-life stories about what it was really like there. And it's, it's totally uh, fascinating. Really? It's, Nothing it's, to Envy? It's called Nothing to Envy, and the author I'm looking at right now on my computer, Barbara Demick, D-E-M-I-C-K. But it's it gives you a fascinating um, firsthand um, account of life in North Korea, and it just um, it, it was fascinating. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll always this looks remember great. it. Yeah, and no, I think, this you is, know, a book is really good. Absolutely, I couldn't agree with you more. That this looks great. Thank you uh, for that. Another book I'm going to recommend. And this is basically a memoir. And I just happened upon this book. You know how fascinated I am with memory. I just, I remember I read this book about 10 years ago as well. I saw it in an airport. And I very rarely do this because even back then I had a big stack of books that I had never read in my home. So what do I need to be buying books that just catch my attention? But there was just something about this book that made me want to pick it up. I bought it. One of the best decisions I ever made. The book is called Moonwalking with Einstein. It's by Joshua Four. Uh, and I would walk around this with this book all over Manhattan. And people would say to me, oh, you're reading Moonwalking with Einstein? You're going to love it. It's a great book. That was one of those books that people had an instant reaction to it and couldn't help. Strangers couldn't help but commenting on it. Joshua Four was just a regular, ordinary guy, John Q. Public. He essentially decides he wants to become an expert in the world of memory. And this book is essentially a memoir, and it's so funny. It's brilliantly written. It's a memoir about him becoming the world memory champion and all the tricks that he used and everything that he does – to become the world memory champion, just from being a regular guy. It's fascinating. Fascinating book. So that's Moonwalking with Einstein. The author is Joshua Four. 800-848-9222. Jay is in Ohio. You have a book recommendation for us, Jay? Yeah, Frank. Uh, another one excellent book is uh, Life and Times of Glenn Curtis. Oh, The Life and Times of Glenn Curtis. Okay. Hey, uh, for And what's so good about it? Well, it's just, just an amazing guy. I mean, you know, it's... He was kind of like the Wright brothers. He was into bicycle racing and stuff, and he invented his own motorcycle. He wanted to go faster than bicycles. And who who wrote the book? Do you remember? Um, sorry, I don't have it okay. at hand. I've, I've got a copy downstairs, but uh, it's a wonderful book, Adventure Guy. Um, made the first flying boat airplane. Um, 
and uh, had contracts with the the Navy. And just just amazing guy. Taught people to fly. You know, it was just uh, truly amazing. No, no, absolutely a, a brilliant uh, engineer. And uh, I guess that's uh, that's a strong recommendation for that particular biography as well. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. And he was also the guy, uh, the, the boys' adventure books, the adventure of Tom Swift. He was the guy who they modeled that that after. Oh, really? Uh, that I didn't know. Yeah, yeah no, that, that's interesting. All right, so the the life and times of Glenn Curtis. Yes. All right. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Bill in Huntington, you have a book recommendation for folks. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, Three Men in a Boat by Jerome K. Jerome. You I, ever heard of that? I don't. No, I'm not familiar with it. Oh, it was written about 1890. It's just three guys on a on a boat on the Thames River, and they go up about 60 miles or something, and they have adventures. It's pretty famous. Give me so. Give me the title again. Three Men in a Boat. All right. Three men in a boat. Uh, I, I, there you have it. Okay. Uh, you know what I like? I, you, you hear, I think it helps if you can say a word about why people should read these books. You know, rather than just say, oh, you know, such so you should uh, read War and Peace. Oh, okay. No, you tease us a little bit. You know, do a little tease. Read X because of Y. Three men in a boat, though. Uh, that's the... Uh, Jerome K. Jerome, apparently a very humorous book from the uh, 1889 or so. All right. 800-848-9222. Mike in Manhattan, you have a book recommendation for us. Yeah, you're you're a big fan of Dr. Oz and um, or Dr. Sky. A Brief Welcome to the Universe by uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, is a a very humorous and uh, interesting uh, overview of uh, all sorts of aspects of uh, why the universe is here and how big is it? What's the chance of uh, life uh, outside, uh, you know, our solar system? Uh, very interesting summary. All right. I will check it out. Thank you very much. 800-848-9222. Uh, let me say hello to Leo on the Upper West Side. Hello, Leo. Good morning, Frank. Morning. Uh, I want to I recommend you any historical roman from Leon Furstwanger. Ugly Duchess, the Juden from Toledo. Leo, Leo, I missed the I missed the author's name. Leo, repeat it. Leon, Leon, he's a, he's a Bavarian novelist from from before Second World War. He started writing. Uh, his name, last name is Feuchtwanger. F E U H T W A N G E R. Feuchtwanger, Feuchtwanger, Leon. Uh, juicy is, is like in, amazing book. Uh, most people don't realize that in the times of, uh, let's say, French monarchy, uh, Spain, uh, Portugal, all these states, they didn't know that their finance ministers all was Jewish and that these was cousins. And they was having wars in between, but behind the scenes, this Minister of Finance was actually behind all these wars unbeknownst huh. to these monarchs. Interesting. Uh, you know, uh, that, see, that's a good tease, Leo. I like it. That's a good tease. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Al has a, a book recommendation that I'm embarrassed I didn't think of to mention on my own, but I love this book. Al, hello. Yeah, hello, Frank. You know, yeah, the uh, 
Good morning to you. The book uh, I would recommend, it was a good book. Uh, it was called The Outlier. Uh, it was written by Kay Bird, and it had to do with the unfinished presidency of Jimmy Carter. Oh. And it gives you, yeah, it gives you a good insight of, you know, when he went to Washington and he was a real outsider with his, uh, what they referred to as the Georgia Mafia. Uh, Jody Powell, his press secretary, Bert Lance, who had gotten in gotten trouble. Uh, also, uh, his chief of staff was from Georgia, and they came to Washington. And uh, you know, being a Democrat, and at the time, I believe the House was run by the Democrats with Tip O'Neill, and maybe uh, for a, a time, uh, the Senate was run by the Democrats. <clears throat> and uh, he just couldn't accomplish much in his one term. Uh, with his Malay speech and then calling uh, different leaders throughout the nation to come to Camp David. And uh, it just gives you a good insight of hmm. uh, his presidency for the one well, term. Uh, Kay Bird served. is a great writer. She's won a, a Pulitzer. Al, thank you for that. I will actually order this book because one of the things that – one of my goals in life, and I'm not – I don't know that I'm going to be successful in this. One of my goals in life is to read a biography of every single American president. Now, I've read several, but what keeps stopping me is that I keep reading more and more Theodore Roosevelt biographies. I, I, I've read maybe 20, 30 different biographies of Theodore Roosevelt or different aspects of his life because there's just so much to it. And then I said, all right, do I want to read uh, about um, Millard Fillmore or do I want to read another Theodore Roosevelt book? And ultimately the Theodore Roosevelt book always wins. But I'm going to check out this book, The Outlier, The Unfinished Presidency of Jimmy Carter by Kay Bird. I'm into that stuff. That is not the book that I thought he was going to recommend. I thought, and I'm going to recommend this book, I'm going to recommend Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell's books are so wonderful. The Tipping Point, Blink, and Outliers. I've read all three. They're great. They're so good, and they're quick reads, but they're packed with information. Really very good. Uh, And by the way, those of you that are talk radio fans might enjoy uh, Barry Farber's book, Cocktails with Molotov, which I was quoting uh, the other day. A wonderful book, which each independent chapter is sort of its own story. We're going to talk about uh, George Reeves in just a minute. Well, let's get a few more book recommendations in if we can. Carl in Manhattan, what do you have for us? As Tom Bookman, I got a recommendation. <laughs> How about return that tropical cancer from 2000? Very, very funny, very funny, Detective Bookman. Loretta in Brooklyn. Hi, Frank. Um, I was going to sleep, but I thought of a book from the 70s. Uh, it's kind of way out there. It's not for everybody. Uh, it's it's about um, uh, life after death. What's the name of it? Life after oh, death. Oh, that's the name of it, Life After Death. Okay, and do you remember by, the author? By Ron Moody. It's actual accounts of people who have died in the OR, and they can give actual accounts of uh, what was said in the room and and what happened, the procedures. And my own mother, when I was 15, so I was in high school, she was in an accident, and her head was cracked open. And a friend was on the bus on the way to work, and this was Willowbrook State School. Do you remember this? Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, My mother was in her car, and she um, swerved her car to avoid hitting, oh, somebody cut her off. 
and so she swerved her car to avoid hitting people at a bus stop, and she rammed her car into a brick building, and the bricks fell on top of her car and uh, cracked her head open. So her friend got off the bus, recognized my mother's car, and held her head together. And there was no 911 then, so the ambulance came, and my mother was in the hospital, and I'm, I think it was St. Vincent's Hospital, Staten Island, and um, uh, they worked on her knee. She has wire in her knee, but, of course, her head was cracked open, and she saw her mother. I never knew any grandparents because I was the youngest, the baby, and um, she saw her mother, and she went to hug your mother as anybody would. And she said, no, Millie, go back, go back. She wouldn't let her huh. touch her. She wouldn't let her touch her. That's wild. Uh, that, uh, that's, uh, but the book is actually Life After Life by Raymond Moody. I've actually interviewed Raymond Moody on this show, and I found Are him to be— kidding? Yeah, I found him to be a very fascinating guest. So uh, uh, that is, if people are interested in that subject— uh, that may be a book worth checking out, Life After Life by Dr. Raymond Moody, who's been on the show. We're going to have him back, actually. He's an interesting guy. Last one, last one, and then we're going to talk George Reeves. Laura is in Queens. Laura, you have a book recommendation for us. Yes, I do. Uh, the Roswell Deception. I think the last name of the author is Dietrich and Peter Moon, I think. Um, is it? It's very fascinating. It's a different perspective on the Roswell Deception. I was delighted that you had Ed Bruno on. Uh, had mentioned that to you. Um, so delighted. And your show is great. Really oh, enjoy it very hey, much. I, this this looks like right up my alley. I am going to read. I mean, I'm yes. going to I'm going to order this book. I, uh, the Roswell Deception and the Demystification Roswell of Deception. World War Two. Yes, yes, love yes. it, love it. Fascinating. Love it. It's a whole new perspective on it, and the authors are around, so Great. they're not dead or anything. Hey, well, that's a good start. Oh, we're we're not discriminating so against dead authors, though, Laura. Yes. But at least I can interview them. Hey, uh, we're going to speak with um, someone who is an expert on the adventures of Superman, and specifically George Reeves, Jim Nolte, publisher of The Adventures Continue, um, a really fascinating look at the one of the greatest TV shows of all time, The Adventures of Superman. I think it says a lot about this show that we're still watching it more than a half a century later. Am I right? This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll continue with Jim Nolte straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
Well, how many of you remember the theme song to, and, and can probably say all the words by heart, to this iconic television show, The Adventures of Superman? You know, this is a, a show that has been off the air for m- more than 60 years, and yet it's still on. Kids today still like it. I find myself watching reruns of this show once in a while. And it's difficult to imagine. There have been a lot of actors that have played Superman over the years. You have uh, Brandon Ralph. You have uh, Christopher Reeve. You have uh, Dean Cain. It's difficult to imagine that show, the way it was shot, uh, the way it, it very, very progressive when it came and very forward thinking when it came to special effects. It's difficult to imagine that program with anybody except George Reeves. How many of you, when you're asked to picture Superman these days, picture George Reeves? I know I do. I mean, I guess now uh, some of the younger folks may picture Christopher Reeve as well, uh, who was also did a great job playing, uh, playing Superman. But um, it's really such a shame that George Reeves, who seemed like a great guy and an incredible performer... Uh, had his life uh, cut short and died at 45 years old. So sad. Uh, But as we look back at George Reeves, I have always been fascinated by him as an actor and him as a personality. And, you know, one of the things that I came across this weekend, which I just really got such a kick out of, was an early audition tape. Listen to this audition tape of George Reeves. This is... Uh, from, I guess, about 1951. Listen to this. Around and around the rugged rocks, the ragged rascal ran. I look like Superman. Why don't I sound like Superman? I look like Superman. Why don't I sound like Superman? I look like Superman. Why don't I sound like Superman? I look like Superman. Why don't I sound like Superman? I look. So, um, in any event, this show was so big that he became a um, a basically um, a pop cultural icon. So much so that he got to be on all sorts of other shows, including, very notably, I Love Lucy. tell you, there's still a comedy that's timeless. By the way, uh, we have a strong contingent of people that listen to this show every day, all four hours, and absolutely can't stand anything I'm doing and are quick to point out what an idiot I am. Hey, uh, this is Exhibit Triple Z in why I am a total buffoon. 
I just looked at that clip of that George Reeves audition again, and it was posted 12 years ago on April 1st. So I actually think that that YouTube clip that I found and thought was a major discovery was actually an April Fool's joke. So I just played for you a George Reeves audition, which was totally fallacious. I apologize for that. And those of you that think I'm an idiot, looks like you're right. Hey, uh, someone who is not an idiot is Jim Nolte. He is the publisher of The Adventures Continue, uh, a tribute to George Reeves and the cast and crew of The Adventures of Superman. Jim, I I know it's a a rough hour. I appreciate you uh, joining me on the radio. I'm glad to be here. Jim, what sparked your interest in the adventures of Superman? Uh, of all the things that you could spend your time on, why do you spend so much time on keeping the the legacy of George George Reeves alive? All right, I'll get to that in a second. The the clip that you played is actually a, uh, a clip from an episode of Superman. Uh, that uh, and it was an April Fool's joke that uh, that somebody posted there. That's. But it's it's from the episode uh, "The Face and the Voice," where a, a gangster is trying to he plastic surgery is used to make him look like Superman, ah. and then he is then he is trying to also sound like Superman, and that's why you get that I look like Superman. Why don't I sound like Superman? He was he was practicing. His, I see. I see. Thank you for clarifying that. Appreciate that. Yeah. Yes. Now. To, to your question, why George Reeves? I, I, I'm 70, I'll be 76 years old next month. I watched Superman from the time that it first arrived on television. Television was new. Um, I lived on a farm out uh, away from everybody else. So television became my friend. And Superman was one of the first shows that I ever saw, and I just there there is just something about George Reeves that captured my attention and my imagination, and I stayed with it ever since. I just uh, there's no way I can let it go. Well, I think that's great, and I'm glad uh, somebody is doing the work that you are doing. I think a lot of people listening to this show right now, they know two things about George Reeves. They know that he played Superman, and they know that he died tragically at a, at a young age. Give us a little bit of the backstory about George Reeves' life. His wor- what can you tell us about him as a person and as an actor? Well, he was born in Woolstock, Iowa. His parents divorced soon after he was born, and his mother moved uh, to Pasadena and took George with her. And so he grew up in Pasadena, and um, he got involved with the Pasadena Playhouse during his high school years, Um, seemed to like acting. Uh, He was a fun-loving guy, Um, and... Uh, from Pasadena Playhouse that led into uh, his first major motion picture was Gone with the Wind. He played uh, one of the Tarleton brothers, uh, one of the Tarleton twins. They always see Tarleton twins, but they're never really described as twins in the movies. Um, He's in the opening scene of Gone with the Wind. And um, then that was 1939. Um, in 
the war came along and um, he was in the Army Air Corps. After the war, he just couldn't seem to regain the the um, status that he had uh, prior to that. And the the movie roles that he got just became um, less and less um, until finally he did a serial, a 15-chapter serial called Sir Lancelot, which was you know, one of those Saturday morning serials that they ran before the the main feature in the, in the theaters at that time. He went to New York, uh, did some live television, um, and then he came back in 1951 and signed on to do Superman. Once, and by the way, people are uh, just tuning in. We're talking with Jim Nolt. You could check out his website at uh, jimnolt.com. That's N-O-L-T. Once he started doing The Adventures of Superman, he really became such a hero to America's children and kind of something of an icon. He took that role of being a role model pretty seriously, didn't he? He most certainly did. And and that's the amazing part uh, of George Reeves. During that entire run, um, he, he, he wanted to be, of course like most actors, wanted to be a star. Uh, It didn't work out for him that way. Television was new. Television was a threat to movies. Television actors were not appreciated by the movie industry. And yet George gave 100% to that role. And I I have a YouTube video where I remarked that it was during his years as his strange visitor from another planet that the real human side of George Reeves became most evident. Um, He appreciated his young audience, though he always said he wished he had an adult audience. Um, And it was during this time that he started to visit hospitals um, in schools, and um, he just gave a hundred percent to that role of Superman. And it says it's George's sense of sincerity and warmth that is missing from every other incarnation of Superman, in my opinion. Mm. Uh, but by the way, uh, he was not the first actor to play Superman, right? And there had been another actor that played Superman in some of those other serials, right? Yes, Kirk Allen played Superman in two 15-chapter uh, serials in 1948 and 1950. And of course, there was a radio version, too. Bud Collier played Superman oh. on the radio for, for many years. Why did they turn to George Reeves to wear the wear the tights when they wanted to launch? I know first it was sort of a B movie, and then that was uh, kind of the launch of this TV series. Why didn't they use Kirk Allen again, since that was a you know pretty popular, pretty successful series of chapter plays? Well, they were two different production companies. Uh, the Superman serials were produced by Columbia pictures and the Superman television series was really an extension of the radio program. Robert Maxwell produced the radio version 
And when that came to an end in 1950, he turned his attention to television. And so he, he really had an entirely different production company and, and huh. he wanted a different cast as well, I suppose. And how long None did not good? Go ahead. Now, how long did the series uh, run for? The first 24 episodes were produced in 1951. And, and the whole thing was financed by DC Comics. And so they, they, they produced the, the, the shows in the summer of 1951. As you said, first they did Superman and the Mole Men, a, 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 an hour-long feature. And then they went directly into filming the 24 episodes. The next step was to find a sponsor to get them on television. That took another year. Hmm. So the series, the series didn't go on the air until the fall, uh, late fall of 1952, more than a year after they had completed, completed the first 24 episodes. He was a, George Reeves was a, a, a very charitably minded actor, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Uh, that's what I uh, indicated before. It was during the Superman years that that he that that really uh, became important to him, and he aided many charities. One of them was myasthenia gravis, which is a neuromuscular disease. And he became interested in that because Whit Ellsworth, who produced the series beginning in 1953, Robert Maxwell did the first season, then uh, Whit Ellsworth uh, took over as producer. His daughter uh, had myasthenia gravis. Very little was known about the disease at the time. And Jane Ellsworth, Whit Ellsworth's wife, uh, founded the Myasthenia Gravis Foundation, and George served as national uh, spokesperson uh, in the 50s. Well, that, yeah, I mean, that's a very, um, I, I think that's very impressive as a person. And why did, why was there no push? You mentioned kind of the different way that television was viewed from film back then. Here you have Superman, an iconic comic book character, does very well in terms of these serials, does very well as a TV character. I would think the natural extension of that would be a series of motion pictures with George Reeves as Superman. Do you have any idea why that didn't come to fruition? One was proposed in 1957, but it never happened because of, of cost. I, you, DC Comics looked at the television series, you have to put yourself back in 19, in the 1950s. DC Comics was in the business of selling comic books. This, these 20, these um, half hour television shows were basically half hour commercials mm, mm. For, for their comic book uh, series. So they didn't look at it as a as a as 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 being as important as the comic books. Interesting, interesting. Um, that makes a lot of sense. 
And, that, and that's also why uh, you don't find very much merchandise with George's likeness on it. Oh. Anything, anything that you see from the from the Superman has the comic book likeness on it, not George, because they would have had to paid him extra for that. I, I want you to listen to this clip and then I want to get your reaction to it uh, because unfortunately so much of the discussion around George Reeves these days does surround his death. They made a movie about um, uh, George Reeves and the end of his life called Hollywood Land with, uh, with Ben Affleck playing George Reeves. The director of that film, Alan Coulter, also directed several episodes, several very good episodes of The Sopranos. So when he was on the Talking Sopranos podcast with Michael Imperioli and Steve Sharippa, they actually ended up talking a little bit about George Reeves. This is what Alan said, and then I want to get your reaction to what Alan says. He did a few movies, too, didn't yeah, he? he did. Yeah, he's in From Here to Eternity. He actually has That's a, right. Has exactly. a scene with Burt Lancaster. Right. Uh, you know, what happened was that, I mean, it's kind of a sad story in a way. He his first film was Gone with the Wind. He plays one of the right. Two that's what I'm thinking of. He's one of the two twins, uh, redheaded twins, at the beginning. In so the beginning, of, yeah, yeah. He, he was at Pasadena Playhouse with a lot of our people who became famous, and uh, that was a real acting school and out there. And and uh, he got that role, so that was his first thing. So that's a, a you know incredible deal. It was the biggest film in America at that time, and uh, and then after that, that was '39, and then the war came. And so what happened was that he he'd made a couple of other films, not terribly good ones, but he was starting to move as, you know, leading man. And uh, he, uh, the director who was very fond of him uh, died suddenly. And, you know, uh, so coming out of the war, um, he had to kind of reboot and kind of re try to rekindle his career because it was sort of going up and then this guy died, the war came, et cetera, et cetera you know, he kind of disappeared and he never, I guess the simple reality is he never could get purchased after that. He just never could, you know, he, he get a little bit and got that moment in, in from here to eternity, but he, and you can see, he's a little like Tony Sirico, you know, I'll tell you a funny story about that, but in that you can see him when he's not the main player and you can see him in the background kind of jockeying to get into the shot, you know, and kind of just kind of moving around to just make sure. <laughs> Uh, I'll tell you a funny story about Tony, but uh, uh, anyway, uh, so, uh, you know, he he just couldn't get purchased. And then, you know, he's now he's getting older, you know, and he's starting to, you know, not be, and then he, he gets this opportunity to do that show and he was just desperate. I mean, you know, it's like, we all know what that's like. Hey, I, I'm the guy that did the, the science show for kids, you know? So, I mean, he, he, he took the job. And then, of course, became wildly famous, you know, but with kids. And he just, it, it killed him because, I mean, it broke his heart, I think, because he wanted to be a respected actor, not some kiddie show actor. And he couldn't, you know, it's one of those things. He just couldn't break free from it. Um, your reaction to what he said there, and uh, he, Alan then went on to say that he has always believed that George Reeves' death was indeed a suicide because of the depression that he uh, that he underwent. Y- your take on on uh, Alan's analysis of his career, and do you share his view that his death was a suicide? Well, I, I agree with uh, with virtually all of everything he said. And that that director, by the way, was Mark Sandrich. And uh, George always said if he had lived, uh, he wouldn't be uh, in the Superman suit. 
mm-hmm. but uh, of course we'll we'll never know that. That's uh, but but he's also right. George during the forties, George either had minor roles in major motion pictures or had major roles, starring roles in minor pictures, uh, but he could never seem to get the the uh, major role, starring role in the major motion picture. Um, I, I, I knew many people who knew George Reeves. Uh, I was, was friends with Jack Larson for, uh, for more than 20 years, Noel Neal, uh, Wood Ellsworth I knew, Robert Shane, uh, Dabs Greer, who was uh, Reverend Alden on Little House on the Prairie, was a friend of George's, and I knew Dabs had a friendship with him for about 30 years before he died in uh, 2007. Uh, I knew his ex-wife. Uh, George was married from 1940 to 1949. I had many conversations with her. Uh, all of them described George as a most wonderful human being. And um, he's also right about George wanting he, – he wanted to be a major actor, uh, and he wound up being – a star of a kiddie show. Uh, although, if you, if I, I think George uh, uh, didn't really appreciate all that he was doing. Mm. I don't think he knew all that he was doing. That that sh- that Adventures of Superman was much more, I think, than what we usually describe as no no doubt about it jim i I have to run but can you give me your take on whether or not you think his death was a suicide i think it was a suicide uh for a long time i didn't think that uh but over the years uh talking with many different people rethinking things myself yes i'm i'm virtually certain that he took his own life um it was um, everything came down on him at one time, mm. and, it, and it only and it only takes a moment. Jim, I, I very much appreciate the time this morning. I hope we can do it again in the future. I would love to. Jim Nolt, publisher of The Adventures Continue. Check out the website, jimnolt.com. We'll take your calls next, 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. You know, this is really a, a great song. Um, this is by the five by five stair steps. Ooh, child. And, you know, for some reason, this has been in my head all weekend. You know, when I put Carmine, my son, who's eight months old now, to bed for either, you know, the evening or for a nap, uh, or, you know, if he wakes up in the middle of the night and I put him back, you know, I kind of rock him a little bit and will sing to him a little bit. Uh, and I, I end up singing this song because he gets so upset 
when he has to go to bed. But within five minutes of crying, he settles down a little bit. So I was singing this song. So it's been in my head all weekend. So I appreciate Matt Blaze uh, playing that. Uh, if you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing, join our Facebook group, Murano Radio Fans and Haters. Carmine's been in a mode where he's pulling my chain, literally. I wear a necklace with a crucifix. Pulling it all the time. Until next hour, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morrow, everybody. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I am Frank Morano. Uh, quite a bit to get to uh, this hour, and uh, we had a, we had an action-packed show. No more guests, so it's just going to be uh, you and me here. If you want to jump on board with anything we're discussing, you can give me a call one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Hey, uh, on Thursday morning, I go on uh, Dominic Carter's show on WABC for the last few minutes, and I uh, I you know uh, preview what's coming up and. I'll jump into whatever subject Dominic Carter is is talking about. And Dominic kind of turns to me and asks the he asks about food stamps. You know, we were talking about this situation involving Mr. Alba, the bodega worker who is was arrested and is being prosecuted and Dominic asks, "Can you buy chips with uh with food stamps, with SNAP or EBT?" Uh and I said, yes. I said, I know you can't buy soda, but um, you can buy chips. Now, that's what I said. Now, immediately, again, there's this, this uh, professional class of people that just listen to every syllable I utter, waiting for me to make any kind of mistake, and then they pounce. So immediately in the Facebook community, and you could join uh, Facebook.com slash Morano fan. Um, be a part of that Facebook community. Immediately, somebody says, no, that's not true. You can buy a soda using food stamps. And sure enough, I looked it up and you can. The reason it was in my head that you couldn't because is because 12 years ago, Mike Bloomberg led and, and no, actually, it's about, yeah, about 10 years ago. Mike Bloomberg and Cory Booker, the mayors at that time of New York and Newark, interesting that they both ran for president in 2020 as Democrats. But anyway, back then in 2013, they were the mayors of New York City and Newark, respectively. They led a nationwide effort to ban using food stamps to buy soda, candy, and other items seen as unhealthy. And New York City... Bloomberg tried to do this on its own. That's why it was in my head that you couldn't buy soda using food stamps. Because I remember in 2010, uh, Bloomberg banned it. And then the federal government essentially said you couldn't do that. So New York City was overrun, overruled by the federal government. So they, along with others, have pushed essentially trying to make a nationwide prohibition on using food stamp benefits to buy soda, candy, and other items. I have to tell you, 
I completely agree. I do not think if you're on public assistance that you should be able to use that money, taxpayer money, in order to buy junk food, in order to buy empty calories. Now, I have no issue with somebody that needs a little public help, uh, needs a little public assistance, getting it. Absolutely none. If you're poor, the last thing I want anybody to do is starve or have their children have a difficult time eating. Last thing in the world. But if you're poor, you should not be using the limited amount of money you have to buy food to purchase soda and candy. And yet, you can. And it really is um, outrageous, in my view, to use the Rita Cosby term. And I'm not the only one that has said this. The mayors of New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, and 15 other cities have pushed to prohibit food stamps from being used to buy soda and other sugary drinks. Uh, There's a bunch of other cities, San Francisco, St. Louis, Oakland, Philadelphia. Their mayors have all spoken out about this. But the U.S. Department of Agriculture, which runs the food stamp program, they have been very slow to act on this. And I'll tell you what I suspect the culprit is here. I don't think they're really concerned about um, children's health or adults' health. I certainly don't think they're concerned about the economic um, impact here. I think this all comes down to the American Beverage Association. The American Beverage Association has a big lobby, and they are flexing their muscle with the federal government to stop this ban from ever happening. I don't know how you feel about it, but in my view, food stamps, EBT, SNAP, WIC should not be used to buy soda and candy. What say you? Agree? Disagree? 800-848-9222. And tell me why. Tell me what your view is on the the Morano Amendment here on, well, again, there's been bigger names than me that have proposed this over the years. But uh, in rediscovering that you can still use food stamp benefits to buy soda, it has re-enraged me. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. I don't see any reason why we should allow the poor to be poisoned with junk food at taxpayer expense. Do you? I mean, what sense does that make? 800 800- Eight four eight nine two two two. You can come in on any of the other uh, issues that we've covered as well. I'll tell you what I was very pleased to hear. Bernie Sanders was right on the money this weekend, unloading both barrels on Joe Biden for this Saudi Arabia trip. Uh, here's a, I just want to play this. It's completely out of context from what we're talking about. It has nothing to do with food stamps or anything else. But uh, I thought uh, this was one of those moments, and I have these with Bernie every once in a while. I'm watching what Bernie Sanders is saying, or I listen to it, actually, and I say, yeah, boom. That's exactly what I would say. Now, if you're not up on this, essentially, Joe Biden, one of the things that he said during the campaign in 2020, which I really liked, is that he would make Saudi Arabia an international pariah. And they deserve to be, in my view. Uh, They are just uh, the government, the royal family there. Uh, it's just a reprehensible regime, as far as I'm concerned, as far as human rights go, as far as their support of terrorism goes, as far as them uh, making, you know, 
everybody begged them for for oil. I just I dis I have such disgust for the Saudi government, at which by extension is the Saudi royal family, that um, I was really hoping that Biden would live up to his comments and make Saudi Arabia a pariah. He didn't. Instead, he went there and begged the Saudis just like everybody else and gave this murderous prince, Mohammed bin Salman, a giant fist bump. I mean, just it was sickening, to be honest. And uh, Bernie Sanders was on ABC's This Week with Martha Raddatz. This is what he said. And we're joined now by Senator Bernie Sanders. It's good to see you this morning, Senator Sanders. President Biden is back from his trip, a trip that has gotten a lot of blowback from even your fellow Democrats, especially that fist bump with the Saudi crown prince. You've referred to Saudi Arabia as a brutal dictatorship that crushes democracy. Should should Biden have gone? No, I, I don't think so. You have a, a leader of that country uh, who was involved in the murder of a Washington Post journalist. Uh, I don't think that that type of government should be rewarded uh, with a visit by the president of the United States. But, but at the heart of the discussions was oil. And President Biden said that Saudis would take action in the coming weeks. Could that make a difference? And, and doesn't that explain why he went? What would you have done? Well, I'm sure that, Muff, I'm sure that that is why he went. But the truth of the matter is, if you're looking at the outrageously high cost of gas at the pumps right now, one of the things we have got to look at is the fact that while Americans are now paying 450, 480 for a gallon of gas, the oil company profits in the last quarter have been extraordinarily high. And I happen to believe that we've got to tell the oil companies to stop ripping off the American people, and if they don't, we should impose a windfall profits tax on them. So, so would you just ignore the Saudis if you were president? Look, you got a family that is worth $100 billion, which crushes democracy, which treats women as third-class citizens, which murders and imprisons its opponents. And if this country believes in anything, we believe in human rights, we believe in democracy. Yes. And I just don't believe that we should be uh, maintaining a, a warm relationship with a dictatorship uh, like that. I think he's absolutely right. Not necessarily on the windfall profits tax, which we can discuss, or the demonization of American oil companies. But everything he said about America's posture and policy towards the Saudi royal family, which is worth $100 billion, I completely agree with. 800-848-9222. I would love to know your view of my suggestion. And again, it's not my suggestion. Cory Booker has suggested it. Mike Bloomberg has suggested it. The mayors of a dozen other cities have suggested it. You should not be able to buy soda and candy with food stamps. Nobody's stopping you from buying it. Go into your own pocket. Don't use tax money for it. It's my view. John in New Jersey, what do you think? Uh, yes. Uh, first, I want to make clear that if somebody was trying to kill me, I would definitely try to kill them. Okay, but I don't know. I consider myself I, I, warned, John. I won't mess with you. I, I wonder if, if this is right. The girl that was involved for the package of potato chips was for her little girl. Yeah, In other I, words, like I, yeah I'm not necessarily. Right? 
I, I believe so, yeah. But I'm not necessarily okay. interested in going over the details of this specific incident. Well, let me let me say something, okay? All please. right, go ahead, please. The guy, to me, couldn't say, go ahead, kid, here's 25 cents, paper chips. What, John, do you the think you should be able to, to buy soda with food stamps? Creep. All right, thank you, John. Michael is here in Manhattan. Hello, Michael. Hey, Frank. Uh, two things. One reference to the food stamps. I actually, for the first time in my memory, I saw a guy go into, and then I have another comment, a guy go into a garbage can and eat food from a garbage can. I, I thought it was going to vomit. Um, that's that's one thing. The other thing is in your interview about uh, uh, George Reeves, it was very interesting. But I'm surprised this guy didn't discuss anything about the actors who were were, you know, acting with him. Yeah, well, I I, could have I could have gone into that. And had we had more time, I would have, Michael. And that's my own fault as a uh, as a as a commentator, I guess, as an interviewer. So uh, the the fault lies with me on that one. Not uh, not what uh, not with Mr. uh, Not with Jim. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Janet is in Manhattan. Janet, hello. Yeah, I totally disagree with you. First of all, a candy bar could be a pick-me-up, an important um, sugar supply for someone who's hypoglycemic. Chocolate is not harmful to you. Uh, And where's the slippery slope here? Where do you stop? Do you say you can't buy red meat uh, that has uh, antibiotics and hormones in it and is fed with corn and pesticided grass? That could be more harmful to you than a healthy um, chocolate bar that has nuts in it. Could be very healthy. Could be a healthy pick-me-up in the afternoon. I really think you're being very moralistic here, and you're being very choosy in what you think is healthy. But Janet, because Janet, you, I mean, yeah, soda right. Soda is empty calories, right? Can we agree with that? Yeah. So yeah. why should you be able to buy soda with food stamps? Well, why should you be able to buy um, broccoli that's G- or, or rice that's GMO that is not proven healthy that is made with pesticides, which are very toxic, very harmful. You know, the, the lowering of... Uh, the, well, but you're, you're comparing rice uh, to soda? Well, toxic rice grown with toxic pesticides and with oh, GMO I, 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 Janet, I, I think that's... I mean, you, I think that sounds silly, to be honest. I, I mean, I, I guess we'll agree to disagree on that one. 800-848-9222. Uh, you agree with Janet? You agree with me? Um, I love the slippery slope argument. That's always a big one. Slippery slope is always one of my favorite arguments because you can't argue with it. Otherwise, you slip. You almost break your neck. Henry is in Manhattan. Hello, Henry. Hi, good evening. evening. Uh, I agree with you uh, totally on the uh, uh, not buying uh, sugary drinks with food stamps. Uh, What I'm wondering about is what happens uh, with uh, a non-sugar drink. You know, I, I don't mean non-sugar drink. I mean a non-sugar version of... Uh, like a diet soda or something? Like a diet soda. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, okay, that is where... Uh, I, I would have less of an issue with that, right? Uh, but uh, to me, not that that's a health food, but to me, 
soda is just just plain old regular soda is just so bad for you. It, it's bad for your teeth. It's bad. It contributes to diabetes, high blood pressure, and weight gain. And look, every food you could pick something out about it that's wrong. I don't think there's any food that is universally um, acknowledged as total junk food, much as soda is. Now, I'm not saying they can't buy it. I'm not trying to stop anybody from buying it. I'm trying to stop them from uh, from having. Uh, taxpayer subsidized diabetes. You know, if we're if we're in the market to provide nutritious food to people or just food to people, it, why would we be encouraging them through our tax subsidies to get to get food that's going to make them sick? And uh, you know, look, I am not somebody that um takes the issues Janet raised lightly regarding Toxicity in food and pesticides. There's no comparison between rice, even if it's, you know, got pesticides or whatever else. There's no comparison between rice and broccoli and Coca-Cola. None. None. I mean, come on. So uh, I just don't think that if we subsidize that, that does what economists call that creates moral hazard where we're incentivizing poor behavior. 800-848-9222. Peter is in Long Beach. Hello, Peter. What's going on, buddy? How are you? I'm well. <laughs> yeah, my my complaint is that uh, when you're in a supermarket and these people are in front of you, they have like a double double shopping cart with, like you said, 64-ounce Pepsis and uh, 64-ounce Sunny Delights and four frozen pizzas and this and that. Nothing healthy at all in that cart. But then again, there's also corner candy stores that let people buy cigarettes with EBT. And they tell them, listen, I'm going to swipe $18 instead of uh, 12 well, that, that's, or that, that's illegal. I mean, they're not supposed I know of they course. do that, yeah. but they do do that, that's not that's not permitted. Yeah. yeah. Listen, I work in, in the uh, theatrical world, and I'm in Times Square a lot. And I see these kids by the theater, 24-year-old kids. And they have an EBT card in their pocket. These guys can lift you up and throw you across the street. They're so strong. <laughs> I said, what is, what is the reason why you're on food stamps? Oh, you just go down. No questions asked. And they give it to you. Uh, it depends on well, your age. Uh, and this okay. And that. So, so, Peter, so, I, I think you know, that's, like, a, Peter, that's a separate issue, right? The issue of fraud in these food stamp programs. I'm not, we're not going to solve that problem. I'm talking about one sp- specific change that i'd like to make you can't use these food stamps to buy soda done buy whatever else you want in terms of food items no soda none uh if you want to extend that to candy as well i'm i'm game for doing that to me there shouldn't even be a debate about soda and as far as i can tell the only reason that uh you're able to buy soda using these food stamps is because of the American Beverage Association. You see, it's the iron triangle of money in, money out. The the American Beverage Association spends big money lobbying Congress and making campaign contributions to politicians. Those politicians set policy, which then see your money, taxpayer money, going back to the same beverage company. So you have a situation where they are are using private money to bribe politicians legally and then getting those same politicians 
to enrich these private companies. It's a story as old as time, and I think that's what we're seeing here. 800-848-9222. Pamela is in central New Jersey. Hello, Pamela. Hello. Um, I think the fist bump will go down in history as one of the most infamous photos, similar to the 12-year-old Vietnamese girl running down the path that helped to end the Vietnamese uh, situation, uh, the Vietnam War situation. And, uh, yeah, um, I, I don't. I don't think you're. I don't think you're. You're wrong. I mean, especially if um, if uh, if MBS chooses to murder another American resident, uh, they're going to show that photo or that fist bump all over the place. Right, right. And as far as the uh, buying uh, uh, junk food, I agree that you should not be able to. I was stopped by a woman one time in the parking lot of a supermarket next to a quick food place, and she had a soda and a sandwich from there, and she said, can you give me money for my family? And I said, well, you know, if you go into that supermarket, you can buy an entire package of uh, chicken thighs that can feed your family for a week for what you paid for that. And what did she say? And she just walked away. And and she's a pretty consistent... uh, you know, a uh, person who wheels and deals situations. Uh, you know, I, I think her issue was, you know, a meth addict. But, um, well, yeah. you know, it, she just couldn't argue with that one. Thank you, Pamela. Neither can I. Uh, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on this or anything else we're covering. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. I'm a big fan of 80s music. Always have been. Uh, This is uh, very stellar. Hey, uh, I was telling you last week that we had uh, this um, barbecue on Saturday, and it was in the works for a while. Very controversial. We had a master list, and then as people RSVP'd, which not everybody did, as people RSVP'd and said they couldn't make it, we worked our way to the backup list. And the the initial first draft of people got a very nice email with all sorts of information. And the farther down we got to the backup list, those people just got a text message. And you know, would, would you, wouldn't you know this? The backup people, almost every one of them that was invited came. 
once we made it to them. They were so happy to be invited that they just can't. So uh, we had this barbecue on um, Saturday afternoon. Now, I have been trying to pitch in more around uh, around the house because my wife does the lion's share of the work in running our household. And uh, I've, I'm, I've, I know it's a source of frustration to her. So I'm genuinely trying to uh, be a, more of a presence in terms of preparation. So Friday, I had tentative plans to do something in Brooklyn. I canceled those so that I could make sure that I was all hands on deck when it came to preparation. So we put up everything, put up all sorts of stuff, folding tables and chairs and umbrellas and all, all sorts of stuff. And so one of the things that we did was we put on the, um, you know, the chairs out there, cushions. My wife says this is Friday evening, Friday late afternoon, early Friday evening. My wife says, all right, it's not supposed to rain tomorrow. We'll put out these cushions now. And we put out about, I don't know, 10, 20 cushions. Okay. And these, these are not uncomplicated cushions to put out. You got to tie them and everything. So then... Uh, the next morning, all of a sudden, there's rain in the forecast. And my wife says, all right, well, we don't want these cushions to get rained on. Go out and take all those cushions. Take the cushions that we just put on last night. Go out and uh, take them off. Put them away. Okay, so I put the cushions all away. Then, two hours before the barbecue, she says, all right, now there's no more rain in the forecast. Put all those cushions back on. And then the barbecue begins around 2 o'clock or so, and people start arriving. My friend Kyle came a little early with uh, our friend Sam, and uh, my friend Jerry came around 2. My folks were there. Obviously, my wife and I are there. And then it's looking very cloudy. And so Rachel says, all right, looks like it's going to rain. Take the cushions off. And I said, No. Absolutely not. You've had me put these cushions on, take them off, put them on. I'm sticking with the fact that it's not going to rain. If it starts raining, we'll take them off. Almost as I said that, there's a downpour, a downpour. And it's just pouring, like a a Florida-style, it was like a giant shower. And uh, I'm staying out there in the rain. I'm under the umbrella, but I'm almost staying out there out of spite, protecting the cushions in my area. My wife had already taken the cushions off hers, and I'm staying out there with Jerry, who insists that the rain is going to pass. He's insisting it's going to pass, and then sure enough, it's not passing. It's just raining and raining and raining. He's getting wet. I'm getting wet. And then eventually Jerry just gives up. He says, all right, I'm getting wet, so I'm going in. I'm going inside. So everybody then goes inside. I'm staying out there in the rain protecting these cushions. And then ultimately even I gave up. So I'd say the first hour and a half of the barbecue was uh, dampened by the rain and everybody stayed inside. The other thing which uh, my wife gets to pat herself on the back for being right about is I, well, I was giving her our meat order of what to order. And I suggested that she get both steak and sausage. She said last year we had so much leftover sausage I'm not getting both. Pick one. And I said, all right, get, get, get sausage. So she gets a, a bunch of um, hot sausage and a bunch of uh, sweet sausage. Almost no one ate this. And so we ended up throwing 
out a substantial amount of sausage. I think maybe three or four of them were eaten, and a substantial amount of it was thrown out. And a lot of other food didn't get uh, eaten, although we, and we had a good crowd, about 46 people. We'll get into some of the specifics of who attended in just a minute. And so the email invitation that I put out said um, there was a hard out at 8 p.m. And then 8 p.m. comes and goes. No one leaves. No one leaves. Now, I'm having a good time, you know, so I'm just chilling out. But everyone starts joking about the hard out time. And my wife says to me the next day, people, the final people left around 942. And she said to me the next day, why, when it was 8 o'clock, did people, instead of leaving, joke about the hard out time? And I said, I don't know. She said, next year, we need to rigidly enforce that hard out time, and uh, we need to not buy sausage. So um, overall, it was a very interesting group of people. And I'll tell you, one of the things that uh, really surprised me is I'd say around, you know, 4.30, 5 o'clock. In the backyard, I almost thought that I was drunk when this occurred. But like um, a phoenix rising from the ashes, like a walking mirage into the backyard, enters Matt Blaze. I, I tell you, when Matt Blaze walked in there, I almost thought I was in the wrong house because... You could have had Elvis Presley walk into my backyard. I would have been less surprised than Matt Blaze walking in there. Matt Blaze, if you don't know, is our engineer. He does not do anything remotely social, at least not with any of his colleagues here at work. He's made his contempt for all of his coworkers very, very plain. Um, And sure enough, he came. And then, um, and then shortly thereafter, Alex Barnard came with his lovely girlfriend, uh, Callie. Uh, made the trip all the way from Manhattan, which is a real hike. I, I, I wouldn't have if I were them. But um, it, was, it was very interesting to see Matt Blaze in a, a social setting. Not nearly as grumpy as you would think that he is in real life, actually. So that was, um, that was interesting. Now... Uh, but so uh, thank you for coming, Matt. It was nice to see you. Well, actually. I was there strictly to observe right. Frank Morano in his natural element <laughs> this, of Staten Island. No, no, this is my natural element. <laughs> that wasn't <laughs> your natural element. No. Getting yelled at by your wife. No, that's, about that's actually that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty accurate depiction actually yes. of our our home life. Uh, well, thank you for coming. I hope you had fun. I did. It was it was a wonderful time. Yeah, it really was. How come you didn't eat any of those sausages? I don't know that I even saw the sausages. See, see to be I'm, honest, I'm going to make the case next year that it was poor placement, poor food placement. Yeah, I, I had a hot dog, and I had those shrimp kebabs. Oh, those shrimp kebabs were really were, good. They, they were the good. Yeah. yeah, really good. Um, no, that was good. Yeah, Omar, who we hired to grill. I uh, see. I like to hire somebody to grill because this way you could actually talk to people rather than you know be stuck behind the grill. So you hire a grill a grill guy for two or three hours. And uh, it allows you to circulate more. Um, Alex Barnard Ubered all the way from Manhattan. Oh, you did not Uber? No, no, no. I took the bus to oh, the party. Oh, you took the bus? Okay. Yeah, we, uh, we Ubered back. Oh, you Ubered yeah. back. Okay, that's right. the right move then. Yeah. Because I was going to say, a two-way was, Uber. Well, and it was so fortune. such a long bus ride to I know, get there. I know. Yeah. I, I've, I've done it <laughs> many times. Not, not from your uptown, so not necessarily from uptown. 
But I really enjoyed uh, meeting Callie. I, I actually liked her much more than I expected to. Oh, she's, really? Yeah, she's got she's got some spunk, right, Matt? Absolutely. Yeah, she's cool. Uh, she was cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. I will have to. Uh, I'll have to clip this it out just, and show it to her later. It makes yeah. me wonder what she's doing with Alex. Uh, well, you know. Well, I mean, I, when he did, when it did arrive, I, she, when I first met her, I said to her, "My condolences." <laughs> and she yeah. said, "Yes, yes, I know." A lot of people say that to her, you know. Oh, I, I mean, can yeah, yeah, yeah. We we know. No surprise. Yeah. The fun. I think the funniest part of the whole thing was uh, at one point, uh, Jen Grodd and you know Matt and I were all talking, uh, and we were kind of all just sort of, you know, just going around talking about radio the whole time, being incredibly boring to anybody who doesn't work in radio, like my girlfriend. And at one point, I can't remember what brought it up, but Jen said something to the effect of, "Oh, I don't really like talking about you know work all that much outside of work," and I sort of um, said something like, oh, yeah, me neither. And anybody who hangs out with me sort of regularly, like my girlfriend, knows that that is completely untrue. <laughs> so she, the second I said that, she shot me a look of, you know, like BS, dude, you know. <laughs> uh, well, and I told you that you should have taken the ride back to Manhattan from Christian Arnold, our, our former producer who came, but you didn't. You didn't opt to go that route. How come you didn't want to wait till he was ready yeah, to leave? Yeah, we didn't. We were kind of feeling a little. We had already gone out at that you. point yeah, in the yeah, morning, yeah, yeah. and it's a long day. Yeah. Well, and we'd also. I mean, this was being us being pretty stupid. We had gone to this brunch place where they serve these giant towers of mimosas, Is and it, it was bottomless mimosas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. really? You got to let me know the name of that place. Don't say it on air because. Uh, we don't want to give them a commercial unless they advertise. Right. But you got to tell me about that privately. Yeah, I will. Um, but we went with a buddy of mine who he had just come back from the Netherlands uh, after living there. And oh, he's right, going right, to go right. back there actually permanently now to live with his girlfriend. Which well, is... I'm, I'm glad you guys came. I enjoyed meeting yeah. uh, Callie and uh, and you guys were delightful. And I, I'm sorry. I know how long that trip is via mass transit. So thank well, you. trust me, she had a great time too. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was a really fun Wonderful. time to be there. It was great. And you know who was actually good company? He was a B list invite. I'm, I have to be honest but christian uh the other christian who runs our local board did you see him no when you were he, there? he left before, right before i, I got gotcha. there yeah yeah you refused to be there when christian was there <laughs> i yeah. refused no he was i uh, didn't even know he was coming he and was, he left before i got yeah, there. he was cool he brought a, a really nice bottle of woodford reserve and then uh and then a, a gift for young carmine now, here's Curtis had a field day with this over the weekend on his show on uh, WABC. And this is one of the things that he had to one of the this was almost the whole show. Almost the whole show. This is one of the things that he had to say about this uh, particular barbecue. Now, wait a second. Every one of those people he mentioned, their last name ends in a vowel. Fred Cerullo Used to be deputy mayor for uh, Rudy Giuliani, Michael Bonicich. The Marys, Matthew Mary, uh, came out of the Knickerbocker houses uh, on the Lower East Side where a lot of mobsters choking on their lobsters came out of, members of organized crime. He's represented most of them. The Fratellones, the Gatulos, uh, who does sports there at AM 970, The Answer. He did it for me. That's four years I'll never get back in my life. He's still there. Stabile and Valentine. We're all Italians. Well, what is he? No blacks? No Hispanics? No Asians? No non Italian whites? Wow. 
Now, that's not true. The number one invite on our list was Dominic Carter, who happens to be black. Now, Dominic uh, didn't come, but he was invited. And my friend Keith Spaulding was invited, who is a staple at every Morano party. He's black, okay? And uh, Curtis is aware of who Keith Spaulding is. But... Uh, and this is how I show how diverse I am because he comes to all my stuff every outing I have ping pong tournament softball game you know barbecue whatever our wedding and I, I we always showcase him because he's usually either the only black person there or one of maybe two or three black people there so we always give Keith the most prominent seat in any any party that we have this way everyone can see how diverse we are that we have. Uh, a black friend who's seated so prominently, but he was invited and then he was coming. And then last minute he had to do something with his wife. He wasn't able to be there. Yeah. So what was interesting though, is, uh, you know, the, the outdoor activities, once the rain settled down and everything included ladder ball and cornhole. So ladder ball, I had played the previous weekend at my sister-in-law's birthday and it's a fun game. I don't know if you've ever played it, but basically you throw a rope with two balls on it towards a ladder. Uh, and the ladder has three rungs, a, uh, a green, yellow, and a red, I believe. And the way that we played last Sunday at r- rules designed by my brother-in-law, Adam, who has experience in ladder ball because he used to work at Dick's Sporting Goods. So he knows all about ladder ball. The way that we played last Sunday was if you get a top-rung thing, that's one point, the middle rung is two points, and then the bottom one is three points. And Adam had a whole explanation as to why that's the case. So those are the rules that I thought I was playing under. And I end up in this ladder ball game with Sal Greco. You know Sal Greco, who is was brought up on charges. He's a member of the NYPD, brought up on charges for being... Roger Stone's uh, friend, essentially. They, they may try to drum him out of the department now. We're waiting. They've recommended uh, some disciplinary action. I think they're waiting for the commissioner to dole out some sort of disciplinary action. He's gotten such a raw deal. And if you ever want to um, you know, learn about his case or make a, uh, a, a contribution to his legal defense fund... I believe his uh, his website, the website, not his, but the website for his legal defense fund, is helpthisnycop.com. And you can see Sal on there. But he looks like Roman Reigns. He looks like a bodybuilder. He's a big, big, tall, strapping guy. And all of a sudden, we're playing this game, and he informs me midway through that we've been counting the top rung as three points, not one point. And counting the bottom rung as one point, not three points, which was the opposite of the way that I was playing. And then I go to my brother-in-law, Josh, who's there. I have eight siblings. I go to my brother-in-law, Josh. I said, well, what's the deal here? Didn't we play this last weekend? And it was one point at the top, three points at the bottom. He said, yes, but we found that the, the rules were in error. So lo and behold, I played this whole ladder ball game under false pretenses, and I lost. And I'm very bitter about this. And I said to Sal, you know, that's really dishonest. And I can see why everyone's trying to label you as an insurrectionist now. Of course, I was I was like 40 percent joking, but I was I was bummed. I lost this ladder ball game because I played it under false pretenses. And then so we arranged this um, 
My brother-in-law, Josh, is one of the great cornhole players of all time. I actually wish he would participate in these tournaments that are on ESPN and stuff. And he is one of the, probably the best cornhole player I've ever seen. My neighbor, Nick, came to the barbecue. He's a great cornhole player. He's in a league. He's a, the guy is in a cornhole league. And I think Josh could use a little humbling on the cornhole field. In, you know, in real life, he's very humble. But when it comes to cornhole, there's a lot of braggadocio. So my friend Frank Fontano, he plays cornhole in his backyard morning, noon, and night. Morning, noon, and night, all day long. So I say, now Frank and Nick don't know each other. Let me assemble a cornhole super team. And I said, Frank, you've got to meet this guy, Nick. Nick, meet Frank. The two of you need to go and play my brothers-in-law, Daniel and Josh, who were beating everybody. They were like, I think they made, if they were gambling on these games, they probably made $1,000. I said, you've got to humble these guys. Lo and behold, it was a close game. But this super team that I assembled, this cornhole super team, zilch. They didn't win. Close game, but they lost. And then that is the worst thing that could have happened because it made Josh only more arrogant. Josh turns to me and says, so, Frank, where's this, where's this super team you were assembling? So that was, uh, that was that. And then, of course, they had complaints. The t- losing team had complaints about the size of the cornhole uh, board. I don't even know what you call it. The, the things that you throw the beanbag in. I don't know. Is it a board or whatever? But uh, they did not. Uh, they, they lost. So, of course, you got to blame the game. I, I, of course, would never resort to that kind of sore losership as Frank and Nick did. Uh, but it was fun, fun party. And, uh, you know, most of the next day after we have one of these parties, Rachel spends most of her day saying, we're never doing this again. And sure enough, it takes a year, but we all ultimately always do. You, after a year, you only remember the good things, and then you kind of forget about all the work and costs. But, it, you know, it was annoying that, that we had so many leftovers. I don't know why we had so many leftovers. We probably we bought about um, $240 worth of sandwiches for, that are very popular, these wraps, and then maybe like another, I don't know, $250, $300 worth of meat – and we ended up throwing a lot of it out, which I hate to do because it is very wasteful. I brought in some fruit today. It's in the refrigerator. We brought in some of the fresh fruit that didn't get eaten. And there was a lot of food that we didn't even put out, these knishes and, uh, and this fruit. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's funny. My friend Frank Fontano, and this is the last thing I'll say, and then we'll move on to more subst- substantive stuff. My friend Frank, we put out dessert, and he says there's another box of cannolis that are missing. So, were you present for this? You were present for this. Go ahead. You describe oh, it. Because I, I, I was pretty buzzed at this He point. was so heated. He was, right? That his cannolis right. were nowhere to be found. And he, for like 10 minutes, he's like, where's the box of cannolis? There's another <laughs> box of chocolate cannolis. Where are they? Meanwhile, it's not as if there was no other dessert there. Oh, I mean, there was. And, and they were, he, we found the box. I guess they were in the refrigerator. Yeah, right. right? Shock, yeah, yeah. Which is, well, where, where else would exactly. they be? You know? But and they were small, but you had these big giant cannolis. Right, but he's going on and on. And oh, he's saying, on and on. He's saying how s- someone stole. That's right. Stole the cannolis. Someone stole his cannolis. I said, Frank. I said, uh, you know, of all the crimes that take place in this neighborhood, 
cannoli theft is not even in the top 20. This is not a neighborhood that's known for cannoli theft. I said, you mean to tell me what you think occurred, Frank, is somebody came here, who was invited, presumably, somebody came here, looked around, decided to steal one box of cannoli, and then leave. That's that's what you're asking me to believe here. And... uh, (laughs) And then he says, well, then where are they? Where, where, where are they? And, he, and Frank is the kind of guy that gets very animated about anything. And so um, I, then I know th- this is all I need to see, that he's getting worked up over this because it leads me to tweak him even more. I said, Frank, it's fine if you didn't bring anything. It's not a big deal. You don't have to concoct this story. I brought them. I brought them. Like, he's like, I brought them. They're here. I got to find them. <laughs> Running back and forth. To find these cannolis. Now, like, I've known Frank since I was, you know, 16. So he should know me well enough to know that, first of all, I don't care about this. And second, that I'm only busting his chops. And that I don't, obviously, I know he brought cannolis. But uh, then, that's the worst thing I could have said. He goes on this mission to search for these cannolis. And he finds these cannolis. They were in the refrigerator, but in a different area of the refrigerator than the other. I found them. I got them. He runs. I got him. I got him. Look, I, I really brought canola. Look, I got him. Put him out. Let's put him out. It was something. He was really proud of uh, of those cannolis. All right. Uh, 800-848-9222. On to more substantive issues straight ahead. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is uh, Naughty by Nature. Um, this is one of your selections, I imagine, right? Matt? Yes, it is. Yeah, this is it's not my style, but whatever. Different strokes for different folks. Hey, um, we're going to get to your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. But um, I, I did want to mention this. This is really interesting. Scientists, this is not science fiction. This is science fact, okay? This is not me trafficking in conspiracy theory or anything like that. This is pretty exciting, I think, anyway. Scientists have discovered what's being described as a strange and persistent radio signal, see, radio, from a far-off galaxy that sounded like a heartbeat. Astronomers at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and elsewhere detected the signal, which is classified as a fast radio burst, or FRB, but it lasted much longer. A typical FRB which is a strong burst of radio waves, lasts a few milliseconds. This new signal lasted up to three seconds. That's about a 1,000 times longer than average. That's according to a news release from uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Now, the astrophysical origins of FRBs are unknown, but the signal repeated over 0.02 seconds in a clear pattern, almost like a heartbeat. So uh, I think that is really interesting. Danielle Mashilli, who's a postdoc at uh, MIT's Cavelli Institute for Astrophysics and Space Research, she said it was unusual. Not only was it very long, lasting about three seconds, but there were periodic peaks that were remarkably precise, 
emitting every fraction of a second. Boom, 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 like a heartbeat. This is the first time the signal itself is periodic. So the signal came from a distant galaxy several billion light years from Earth. Isn't this amazing that we can detect radio signals from several billion light years away? So researchers from MIT and McGill, they published a study on the signal. They've named it FRB 2019-1221A. See, it's not a catchy name. If you want to know why people aren't going to be talking about this today, it's because it's just too much to say, hey, did you hear about the buzz uh, that's going on with FRB 2019-1221A? No, come on. You need a nickname. They should have called it like uh, the uh, the Charlies. See? Hey, you hear what the Charlies in space are doing? See, people want to talk about that. No one wants to talk about something called FRB 2019-1221A. So it's currently the longest-lasting FRB with the clearest periodic pattern detected to, to date. So the first one of these radio signals, uh, FRB, was discovered in 2007, and there's been hundreds of similar radio flashes detected in space. Most FRBs are one-offs and last a few milliseconds before ending. But a signal that repeated every 16 days was recently discovered, although that signal was more random than periodic. But uh, in December of 2019, they detected this periodic heartbeat-like signal. So this is pretty exciting. Uh, I don't know what it means. I don't know if that means in this galaxy there's life out there and people listening to radio shows out there even as we speak. Whatever the case may be, I think it's pretty interesting. 800-848-9222. Comment as you see fit. Eileen is in Connecticut. Hello, Eileen. Good morning, Frank. Morning. Can you hear me okay? Perfectly. Great. Listen, um, I know you've moved on from this. However, I really want to comment on the food stamps. Sure. Because I I directly, um, at one point in my life, uh, I owned a small mini mart in a very depressed uh, area of the country. And uh, we accepted food stamps and we also did the WIC program, which was another another issue is the WIC program. But, uh, no, I do not believe that you should be buying soda, uh, junk food, you know, Twinkies, anything like that with food stamps. And uh, we used to have uh, some of these parents, most of them, in fact, about 80 percent of them in that town were on food stamps and WIC programs and all all of this, you know, uh, government stuff. This was new to my husband and I because we were from the East Coast. He's a Bronx guy, city guy. And here we go out into this, you know, depressed desert area. And uh, the parents would send the kids in with a dollar on the way to school. They'd come in in, on their way to school. They'd come into our store. And we used to keep little jars. Years ago, it was very common to have little jars of penny candy. And they would send the kids in with like a dollar food stamp. And uh, probably instruct them to buy like a three or four or five cent piece of candy. And then you would have to give them regular change back if they didn't spend the whole dollar. Mm. So if they spent, you know, five cents, you'd give them 95 cents cash back. And they had mobs of kids, too. Oh, I'm sure. They had, you know, seven, eight, nine kids, you know, tons of them. And uh, then the parents would come in. 
already in the more early in the morning you could tell they were compromised with uh, probably booze and then the parents would come in and they would buy because we also sold beer and wine. Uh, Eileen, unfortunately, we're going to have to end it there. Uh, thank you very much for the call and sharing that perspective. Hey, commendations coming up in five minutes. <clears throat> in the meantime, in the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population. Make sure you get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, we're going to do commendations in just a minute. If you're new to our program and uh, we've seen the, the numbers... We keep seeing that we are getting more and more new listeners all the time. So if you are new to the show, this is where we give a pat on the back and some much-needed recognition to people that have done a good deed or something that has proven to be beneficial to people in general. Uh, But before we get to this week's edition of Commendations, uh, Peter in Staten Island has been very patiently holding. Hello there, Peter. Hey, Frank. I'll make it quick. You know, when you said about with the uh, pastries, the guy was looking for, I had an instance where I brought over some pastry, like uh, 24 cannolis. But what I do is when I buy them, I buy another six extra and put them in my cooler when I go somewhere. So they never came out. So somebody that saw me bring them in, said, when is the cannolis coming out? And the guy, one of the people there said, oh, my mother's going to my cousin's tomorrow, and we were going to bring them there. So later on, I seen them. I said, uh, what time should I come to your cousin's to have the cannolis? <laughs> I figured I'd tell you that. <laughs> I like it. I like it, Peter. Man after my own heart. You know, it's funny. You When you bring something to somebody's house, you know, I think you want to bring something that makes life easier for them. You don't want to bring a chore, right? Like um, like uh, Christian Matos, our local board operator in New York, he brought a bottle of, of bourbon. So you know what we did? We drank it, right? Very simple. Uh, you know, stuff that requires additional refrigeration, I appreciate the thought, but like, we're already in a tough spot refrigeration space-wise. You don't really want something that requires additional work. My mom, who's the the greatest, very generous lady, she brings these moose shots, which were delicious. I think I did try one. These moose shots, but she had to bring a special cooler, and then we had to get special Tupperware to accommodate these moose shots. And like I'm running around like crazy before the barbecue, and then she's asking me all sorts of questions about cooling these moose shots. I said, Mom, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that you brought this, but I mean— I really didn't want an additional chore because of these moose shots. But um, let that be a lesson to you. If you want to bring – we did a segment a while ago about bringing things to a barbecue. You always want a low-maintenance gift, like a, something for the house that's easy, doesn't require any additional refrigeration or anything. By the way, the thing I want to emphasize about the case of the missing cannolis was that there were literally two other boxes of cannoli out there. As Frank Fontana was going crazy, accusing people of cannoli theft. 
And then one of the better lines of the evening was from my wife, Rachel, who has become something of an expert un- unwillingly in The Godfather. She said, leave the cannolis, take the cannolis, which was certainly a, a very interesting play on that uh, famous line by Clemenza. Uh, and uh, certainly might qualify her for a future... The Other Side of Midnight presents Commendations. Ah, yes, I must give a commendation to Daniela Velasquez. This is a very impressive young woman, a brilliant New Jersey teenager. Um, This is a teenager in New Jersey who is so bright, they named her valedictorian. Twice. Twice. Daniela Velasquez, um, last month, was named, I've never heard of this before, I didn't know it was possible. She was named the valedictorian of both her high school and her college the same month. She was named valedictorian of Passaic Preparatory Academy and from Passaic County Community College, whose early college program she was able to enter in 2020 thanks to her stellar grades. She was named at 18 years old valedictorian of a high school and a college the same month in the same year. That's crazy. Um, Her parents must be very, very proud of her. I want to give a commendation to spirituality. Spirituality indeed. Interesting, interesting new research shows that spirituality has been linked with better health care outcomes. This is really interesting. This is not a, a study from the Catholic Church or Yeshiva University. Uh, again, nothing against Yeshiva University or the Catholic Church. This is a study led by very secular researchers at Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health uh, and Brigham and Women's Hospital. So essentially, they are saying, based on the results of this study, that spirituality should be incorporated into care for both serious illness and overall health. According to the lead author of the study, Tracy Balboni, and she's also the senior physician at this hospital and a professor at Harvard Medical School, this study represents the most rigorous and comprehensive systematic analysis of the modern-day literature regarding health and spirituality. Our findings indicate that attention to spirituality in serious illness and in health should be a vital part of future whole person-centered care, and the results should simulate more national discuss- stimulate more national discussion and progress on how spirituality can be incorporated into this type of value-sensitive care. You know, I'm not surprised by this, but I am surprised at how clear. And black and white, the data is. You want better health, ladies and gentlemen? Be a little bit more spiritual. Uh, spirituality, I do commend you. I must also commend plants, house plants to be specific. House plants don't just look nice, they make us happier and healthier. Oh, yes. Many people's jobs keep us indoors these days, away from nature. And the pandemic magnified that problem. But it turns out being around nature is essential to health. And evidently, interacting with plants, plain old regular house plants, 
can increase life satisfaction. It can reduce anxiety and stress. It can spark creativity. It can boost productivity. And even, this is for real, even mitigate symptoms of PTSD and dementia. And certain plants are natural air purifiers for your house. So uh, plant sales soared during the pandemic as Americans coped with being stuck inside. And plant nurseries in the U.S. saw sales jump 10 to 15 percent in 2020. Many of these plants that were sold were small mom and pop shops that are now thriving due to our revived interest in plants. And a whopping 89% of consumers owned at least two house plants in 2021. So, look, watering and tending to plants and then watching them bloom is great for our minds. Justin Pooter, psychologist in Florida, said a key sign of poor mental health is losing interest and pleasure in activities. Plants can curb that by bringing passion and routine into our lives. Asiya Mushin a wellness coach and retired nurse, she started buying plants to cope with her own mental health after a suicide attempt. And she told Axios, they made me feel safe, heard, and seen. Now she uses plant caregiving to help clients. The Horticultural Society of New York, um, they understand the value of plants. They offer Rikers Greenhouse, a two-acre plot of land on Rikers Island where experts guide incarcerated individuals through therapeutic horticulture. So, look, if you don't already have a plant, I find this pretty convincing. I'm going to try and get a plant in my office. Consider buying a plant from a local nursery to brighten up your home or maybe even add to your collection if you already have one. It's nice. I love to see these small nurseries doing well, and I love to see people's health improving because of them. I want to commend uh, Tommy Morrissey. Tommy Morrissey is an impressive young man. 11 years old, he's got one arm. He's got one arm, and he's already, you know, kind of a social media star because he's a golf prodigy. He has incredible skills, not for a one-armed golfer, but for any golfer his age. He's got already 40,000 followers on Instagram. Now... He is showing off his talent and his power on the baseball diamond. Morrissey is a star athlete in his age group and an ambassador for the Unlimited Foundation, L-I-M-B. And it seems like when he isn't crushing golf balls, he's now dominating the baseball diamond. So this video has been circulating of him crushing home runs. So this 11-year-old kid is a better hitter at 11 than I am as an adult. He's got one arm. I find this story, the story of Tommy Morrissey, so inspiring because how often do you feel like you just can't catch a break, that you have all these obstacles thrown in your way, that you just can't overcome what is before you? Through no fault of your own, you just can't seem to thrive. This kid has one arm and he is a gifted athlete. I find this pretty inspirational. Uh, I think this is a great story and uh, I think he really can help 
a lot of people that are dealing with whatever handicap they might be trying to overcome show that, yes, it is possible to be a great golfer, a great baseball player, and a wonderful athlete, and a social media star, even if you only have one arm. It's a wonderful story. I really like it. Uh, I also want to commend Alina. See, we have a lot of youths that I that we're commending today. I didn't realize that, but I, I love it. I, I, I support the youth of America, just like George Reeves. Alina Annalie Wicker, 13 years old, she has been accepted to the University of Alabama Medical School. She has become, she has made history by becoming the youngest black person ever to get accepted into medical school in the United States. This is incredible. 13-year-old girl going to medical school. How does that make you feel about your accomplishments? Right? Um, this is, I, I was on the fence about whether I should commend these people, and I wrestled back and forth. Ultimately, I did choose to leave, I did choose to commend them. I want to commend these horrible thieves who returned a gold shrine that contains vials of the blood of Jesus Christ that was stolen from a church in France. There's a 2,000-year-old relic called the Precious Blood of Christ. It is among the Catholic Church's holiest relics. Thieves stole it on June 2nd from an abbey in Normandy. And authorities say the suspects had hidden in the church overnight and then made off with all sorts of stuff. Works of art, gold pieces. And so while investigators were searching for the stolen items, the precious blood of Christ artifact was suddenly returned. These thieves... I guess had a pang of conscience, or they um, conscience, or they were afraid they wouldn't be able to sell it, or I don't know. They were afraid that if you run around with Jesus's blood, maybe that's bad mojo, or they were afraid that this would make them more likely to get caught. Whatever their reason, I am really glad. I mean, look, these are horrible people that would rob from a church like this. But I am really glad that this has been returned. It's amazing that something like this exists. I think it's just wonderful. And I I think it's just a great thing that these horrible thieves somehow decided, all right, okay, we're terrible people. We're going to keep all the money, steal all the artwork, steal all the gold, but we're going to give Jesus' blood back to the church. Okay. I think that's at least some commendable aspect of Humanity. I want to commend Bob Salem. Bob Salem is a resident of Colorado Springs. I think I have cousins in Colorado Springs. If you're a cousin of mine that lives in Colorado Springs, let me know. 800-848-9222. He became the fourth person to push a peanut to the top of... Pikes Peak, which is 14,115 feet high. He pushed a peanut up a summit, up a peak, 14,115 feet, using a spoon fastened to the face mask of a CPAP breathing machine. He flicked 
a peanut up these steep slopes. Uh, this is incredible. I, I, I just can't imagine the amount of skill that this takes. Salem said that a mile and a half up the trail, he and his son, who was to help carry supplies up the mountain, they gave in to nearly 100-degree heat. He went home and recouped last Sunday, then returned to the trail alone, where he said he would hike his 40-pound backpack as far as he could before going back to push the peanut burden-free. So he did it at night. It was a lot cooler and a lot faster. This guy is incredible. Now, to paraphrase John Stuart Mill, this is inspiring proof of what one Colorado Springs resident can do, but it gives no indication of what one Colorado Springs resident should do. Uh, But Bob Salem, the peanut pusher, very impressive. I don't have this woman's name, but I want to give a commendation to a young mother from Hyattsville in Maryland. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. And this woman is going to be purchasing a new home after a lucky 31st birthday present turned into a huge payday. The mom went in, went home $25,000 richer after deciding to purchase a pick five combination reflecting her birthday and her age. The soon-to-be mother of two is one of six sisters who play birthday-related lottery combinations. This is apparently the second time that she has won the lottery in a month. Won won the lottery twice in a month. Very impressive. I want to give a commendation to my friend King Henry. King Henry is one of my oldest friends, and these days he is the uh, on-field MC at the uh, Brooklyn Cyclones. He was kind enough. Uh, we went to Coney Island yesterday. I'll tell you a little bit about it this hour. We went to Coney Island on Sunday to see the Cyclones game. Not only was he very good to give my friends and I complimentary tickets, but he was kind enough to mention me in his remarks at the game. So that was very, very nice. And then lastly, I want to give a commendation to black clothing. They say beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but that has not stopped researchers from trying to answer the question of what color is most attractive to others. Sure enough, they found, after a lot of study and a lot of research, that the most attractive color that you can wear in terms of clothing is the color black. Isn't that interesting? Johnny Cash was on to something. You know what was second? Pink. Pink was second. Very interesting. So commendation to the color black. All right. uh, That about slams the lid on this edition of Commendations. If you want to comment on anybody that I have commended, you are welcome to do so. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
Is this song catchy or what? I mean, come on. This is great. Uh, Black Betty by uh, Ram Jam. Right? Ram Jam? Yeah. Uh, this is The Other Side of Midnight. I'll tell you, one of the things that uh, I have been watching, I, I finally got... Hey, do you remember last Friday during the Ask Frank Anything portion of the show? Gino, who, who I've met in real life, who's a, g- a great guy, whose father I was friends with years ago. We used to run, run around together. But uh, I've gotten to know Gino, who's a big listener to the show. He called in with a question, and I, and I thought it was an interesting question. And, like, so often, see, those are the really good Ask Frank Anything questions. The questions that leave me thinking days later. So this is the question that Gino had asked. What's up? I'm out with my girl Jen with bar hopping, and she brought up a sci-fi nice. question that I can't answer, but I know you can. So I'm going to let her ask it. So what you think about a particular sci-fi show. Now she doesn't want to ask it. She wants to know what you think about the show Orville. So I said, I like the Orville, which is true. The Orville's been off for the last couple of years. It was on Fox. Now, I love everything Seth MacFarlane does. Seth MacFarlane is the creator of Family Guy. He's the creator of uh, American Dad. He's, he did the movie Ted, and he's done a lot of interesting things. And I feel, I've never met Seth MacFarlane, never spoke with him, but I feel like he's me. I feel like we are kindred spirits in our shared sensibilities. I feel like he's kind of an old soul, too, and the kind of parodies that he does on uh, Family Guy especially, Bing Crosby and uh, stuff like that. That's the kind of stuff that I'm really into. And uh, I think he's just just wonderful. I think he's a real talent. I think he's incredibly funny. I think he's a great actor and a great singer, quite frankly. I think he's a five-tool talent. But so I um, have not seen The Orville in a couple of years. It was on Fox. I guess Fox discontinued it. So recently Hulu brought it back. So the last few days since that phone call from Gino, I've gotten the opportunity to catch up on the most recent season. And I have to tell you, I absolutely love this show. And uh, Gino said to me in that phone call that, uh, oh, don't you think it's kind of just another silly show? It's true. There is a lot of silliness to it. But in many ways, I don't. It's very similar to Star Trek. It's it's a funnier version of either Star Trek, the original series, or Star Trek, the next generation. In some ways, I actually find it to be more realistic than 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 some Star Trek. Because a lot of times you watch Star Trek, and while there are lighthearted moments, it's it's kind of stiff at times. Everyone's very staid and proper, when really, if humans were in space they would be kind of silly at times and dealing with a lot of real world issues like infidelity and uh, jealousy and uh, all sorts of things that regular people deal with. So if you're a science fiction fan and uh, you haven't yet tried the Orville, I, I would try, I, I would try it, especially if you like Star Trek, because there's all this cool stuff that they throw in there as special nods to Star Trek fans. There's a lot of Star Trek actors that have been on the show in various guest appearances I, I think it's a great show, and I'll tell you, this most recent season, just like the original Star Trek series, it deals with a lot of contemporary issues and provides space as an allegory for them. Hot-button issues, abortion, gay marriage, uh, transgenderism, the show deals with these, and you don't necessarily even know that they're dealing with it because it's in space and it's science fiction, but uh, the show's very funny. 
And I, uh, I really enjoy it. I'm really enjoying this most recent, uh, this most recent season. For some reason, now they call it um, Orville New Horizons. I don't know why that's the case, but that is the case. So I've seen the first five episodes uh, so far of the most recent season, and I'm really just really enjoying it. If you're not familiar with the Orville, here are here are a couple. Here's one kind of funny scene. Now picture this: if you've seen Star Trek, you know. They're on the bridge. There's the captain, and he's got a viewing screen, and he'll communicate with, you know, the alien or whomever on this viewing screen. It's almost like an early, you know, this was Skype before anybody knew what Skype was, or what's the Apple version? FaceTime before anybody knew what FaceTime was. So picture the captain on this show, Ed, um, who, who's very good, uh, Ed Mercer. He's communicating with an alien. And this is what you are in store for if you watch the Orville. Grill Commander, this is Captain Ed Mercer. Break off your attack and we can talk. Give me the device, human, or I will destroy your ship. Sorry, can you can you move like two steps to your right? What? It's like a little tiny, it's just a lot of dead space there. Just, yeah, just right there. Perfect. Yeah, sorry, you were just very weirdly framed. It was all I could focus on. Anyway, what is it you want? Now, so... It, they're talking about all this serious stuff, and he's just saying move. So the the season one generally got negative reviews from critics. I liked it. Season two was much better received by critics. Season two is much more dramatic. If you've ever seen the Borg episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, season two has an arc that is very similar. I'm not going to give anything away. And um, and I'm enjoying season three. I think it's uh, I think it's very good. Here's kind of another funny moment where... I don't remember the exact circumstances of what happened here, but they're trying to interact with some people on this planet and they end up shooting one of the, you know, there's a family that lives in this house on this planet and they end up shooting accidentally the father in this circumstance. This is what you're in store for if you watch the Orville. Hi, I'm Captain Ed Mercer of the Jehovah's Witnesses. (laughs) Look, it's fine. All right. I'm just going to try again. Hi, I'm Captain Ed Mercer. Holy crap! We don't mean your family any harm. Well, we did just shoot his dad. Aside from shooting your dad, we don't mean your family any harm. I find it to be a very clever show. I think it's funny. I think it's well done. Special effects are great. The acting is very strong. Is it a little silly? Sure. Uh, But uh, I'm a little silly myself. 800-848-9222. John is in Freehold, New Jersey. Hello, John. Hey, what's up, Frank? It's a pleasure as always. Likewise. I was just gonna say I love the Orville too. It's um not only it's like a it's a kind of like a comedy and it takes place in space. I actually talked with Curtis about this. The premise of that movie is amazing. There's no more current. Uh, I mean, the show, not movie. There's no more currency in the world. Everything is merit based, and they figured out how to get uh, to make a food synthesizer. So, well, this thing can synthesize any anything, clothes, food, whatever. So there's no world hunger. Everybody can have whatever they want. And to move up in life, you just have to do good things, do good at your job and everything. I absolutely love that show. Yeah, well, in some ways, it shows a very, very optimistic future, much like Star Trek did. I, I think in many ways, it is kind of the the proper successor to Star Trek for the 21st century. 
Yeah, I feel like it's actually like it's very doable. Like that that could be like a definite future of ours if somebody was able to figure out how to synthesize like uh, anything. That would it would be amazing. I think we'd all come together. No more world hunger. No more problems. I think uh, we'd advance civilization. Yeah, it does. Uh, it does indeed make you think, uh, John. Thank you very much. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two. Two two. Uh, we'll continue with your calls in a moment. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is the other side of midnight. I am Frank Moreno. Thanks for listening. Uh, coming up next hour, I thought Anthony Weiner's comments over the weekend about his ex-wife dating Bradley Cooper were very interesting. You know, it's funny. Joe Piscopo always used to say Joe Piscopo has a lot of experience with ex-wives. Obviously, like if if a woman goes from you to Bradley Cooper. Okay, I mean that's what can you say? What can you do there? I mean you're in you're in a good position if uh, that's the step up. Like this international celebrity who's handsome, wealthy, and in great shape. Uh, I'm gonna leave you for him. If somebody leaves you for a um, you know a, a a slob that's homeless that uh, that 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 has no limbs and that's has a, 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 a horrible demeanor. Okay, that makes you feel pretty crummy. But, you know, a woman leaves you for you to Bradley Cooper, that's great. Because it's almost like a resume enhancement. You, it, It's a way of saying to the next woman, hey, uh, I'm not saying you're going to get to date Bradley Cooper if you go out with me first, but she did. So, um, all right, a couple of interesting things. Hey, so I mentioned we... Um, we went to uh, Coney Island yesterday. I love Coney Island. It's one of my favorite places to uh, to go. And we wanted to take Carmine to his first uh, Brooklyn Cyclones game. I have so many fond memories of working at the Brooklyn Cyclones. I worked there for three years in the video production department uh, from, starting in 2001, their inaugural season. And my boss at the time is still the general manager, uh, Steve uh, Steve Cohen. And uh, we were eager to get get there, and I saw we saw that this season they're experimenting with something called the boozy brunch. That you can go to these games and watch a game and get you know booze with mimosas and everything, and have brunch. I love brunch. Brunch is my favorite meal. So especially when you know you can't have brunch obviously without mimosas. So we make plans to go. And I, um, you know, I tell some friends that we're going to be there. I call my friend King Henry or I, uh, SMS text message him. I SMS my message my friend King Henry and ask him, oh, by the way, you know, we're going to the game. If you have any complimentary tickets available, that's great. So he tells me essentially that uh, um, no problem. That's all good. 
Turns out the boozy brunch was sold out, which is just as well, because my wife is not really going to drink, and uh, she's got to drive, and she's got to take care of Carmine. So it doesn't really make sense to spend $50, which I didn't know that's how much tickets were, um, and we don't get to drink. So my wife chooses to take a nap when Carmine takes a nap around 11, 11-ish. And we're supposed to meet our friends around 1.30. Got it. Okay. So King Henry, I said, King, do me a favor. Just double check these tickets for the boozy brunch, right? Just make sure they're sold out. Because I felt bad. I, I invited my friends to this game under the auspices of going to brunch. And if you're expecting brunch and then you don't get brunch, that can make you pretty, you know, pretty ornery. Although uh, we went with two couples, actually. We went with our friends Mark and Maureen, who I married. They're part of my perfect record. Do you know not a single couple that I've ever married as a wedding officiant, not a single couple that I've ever married has gotten divorced? Are you aware of that? And that's pretty good, given the statistics of where we are in this country. Bottom line is, if you don't want to get divorced... Hire me to do your wedding. Boom. Wow. That's true. Now, uh, my wife's asleep. Carmine's asleep. I'm on the phone with King Henry. King Henry says, uh, get to the game early because you're throwing out the first pitch. I said, I thought he was joking. I said, oh. He says, no, no, really. I, I just ran this up the flagpole. You're throwing out the first pitch. Sid Rosenberg threw it out on uh, on Thursday or Friday of last week. He was here with Congressman Peter King. You're the number most listened to overnight show in New York City. A Cyclones alum, a guy that worked here. You're absolutely a good candidate for throwing out the first pitch. So that's he tells me that. So what would you do? I have a sleeping child and a sleeping wife at this point. Now, in general, unless it's an emergency. The attitude that I take with Rachel is to not wake her. That's my general philosophy because she works so hard. You know, I'm not home at night, so she's got to, if the baby needs to be fed or changed or whatever, she's got to get up in the middle of the night. So she's working hard during the day, working hard all night. So whenever she can get a few minutes of sleep, I try to let her get it. I don't wake her up. Don't wake her up. So it's about... 11, it's about, uh, maybe it's about a quarter to 12, 12 o'clock by the time that she wakes up. She says, all right, how about we leave in about a half hour? I said, well, if we can leave even sooner than that, that would be great. And I tell her about this first pitch situation. So we have to get there early if I'm going to do it. And then she basically flies into a panic. She's rushing all over the place, you know, uh, running all around. And you could tell she's stressed. Uh, by the way that she's talking. And I'll be honest, you know, this was one of those weekends that it seemed like almost everything I did really was successful in annoying my wife. And and those of you that are husbands, you know those modes, right? It's just you can't catch a break. You know, uh, you know, I, I, I tried to clean up as much as I could Saturday morning or Sunday morning after the barbecue. And sure enough, almost everything that I did to clean up made things worse in her view. I would have been better off not not cleaning anything. Um, and uh, it was just one of those weekends. And so this was all she needed. Why didn't you wake me up? And, you know, she, uh, so lo and behold, um, we don't end up getting to the game early enough for me to throw out the first pitch. 
Be, and the lesson is I should have woken her up. That's the, you know, that's the lesson. But we went to the game, had a good time. Our friends Mark and Maureen were there. Uh, Zen Sams uh, was there, the actress, and her husband, who's a big producer, who's been a guest on this show, uh, Brad uh, Feinstein. He was there. And their daughter, Alexa, who's an actress herself at only six years old, she's in the new Robert De Niro, Jamie Foxx movie, Tin Soldier. She was there. So we have a good time. But this was one of the most interesting moments of the game. And then we went to dinner at Gargiulo's, which is one of my favorite restaurants anywhere. But this was one of my favorite moments of the game. I end up talking to the general manager, Steve Cohen, my old boss. <laughs> and he says, uh, the Brooklyn Cyclones, by the way, is a minor league baseball team uh, that's in Coney Island. If you haven't been to a game, it's worth checking out. I think there's one more boozy brunch left for the season. I'm going to try and get there for that. And I am going to try and get there early enough to throw out the first pick, pitch. I hope I'm not getting anybody in trouble by saying this. But Steve said, yeah, you know, how's the radio business? We're making small talk. You know, I saw, I haven't seen Steve in about a year. He says, yeah, we had Sid here the other day. I said, yeah, I heard. I heard he threw out the first pitch. I heard he was here with Congressman Peter King. And, uh, <laughs> and Steve says, yeah, we had to keep it a secret. Sid didn't want to tell anybody. I said, what? That's crazy. He, he's thrown out a first pitch in front of thousands of people. He didn't want to tell anybody. And he said, yeah, I think he was worried that he was going to get in trouble because John, John Katsimatidis, who owns WABC, because John owns the Ferry Hawks, which is not a competitor with the Brooklyn Cyclones. The Ferry Hawks are an independent league team. The Cyclones are a minor league team. They don't play each other. There's no. So um, Sid apparently told everybody. Not to mention that he was throwing out the first pitch. And all I'm thinking as Steve is explaining this to me is how insane is that? That he thinks John would care about him throwing out the first pitch. I mean, Margot Katsimatidis has thrown out the first pitch there. So I I thought that was a um, a fascinating window into Sid's psyche. But it was a great time. Uh, Cyclones won. It was the day, um, I, I think they do this every Sunday, the children could run the bases. So, uh, obviously, Carmine doesn't walk yet. He doesn't even really crawl. So what we did, and they were very nice to let me do this, um, I carried him around the bases, and we ran the bases together. And uh, it was really fun. We got some fun pictures. I, I may share a few on Instagram at Morano Vision, at M-O-R-A-N-O Vision. And he didn't wear shoes. He doesn't have shoes yet. So what we would do is when we would get to the bases, I think I only thought about this as we were approaching third, um, is I would put his feet on the base. So at least he was touching the base and touching home plate as we ran around. So it was a lot of fun. We took some nice pictures. It was um, it was tough because with the sun for a baby. So we spent a lot of the time, Rachel or me, alternating with him on the concourse area because it was a little shady there. So it is tough. If you're thinking of going to the game with a baby, make sure you make arrangements to have him protected from the sun. Because even though we had a hat for him, which did provide some protection, um, you know, his son, we didn't want his legs or anything or his arms getting sunburned. So, uh, if you know, be advised if you go to that future boozy brunch cyclones game to uh, make sure to, uh, a, a pro, you know, you know, use uh, proper shade. And, you know, um, 
My American Express card is still missing. And so I borrowed my wife's when I went to go buy ice on Saturday. And, you know, it's the same account. But I borrowed her American Express card. And I tried to hand it to her Saturday at the barbecue. And it was one of those moments where I had done something to annoy her. So she said, no, 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 I don't want it now. She was joking. But she said, no, 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 I don't need that. So, of course, I didn't end up giving it back to her on Saturday. So she didn't have her American Express card on Sunday either. So I only had my debit card with me on Sunday. And that means we were going to buy dinner. And I made a trip to the Brooklyn Cyclones, uh, you know, the store there, the store at the stadium. And we got him Carmine a onesie, you know, for his first Cyclones game. And I'm a bobblehead doll freak. I have a bobblehead doll collection. Now, mostly I like presidential bobblehead dolls. But they had a bobblehead doll of my favorite New York Met, at least on the current team, who I'm hoping wins the home run derby for the third time this week, Pete Alonzo. They have a Pete Alonzo bobblehead doll of him receiving the Jackie Robinson Award. So I said, how do I not buy this? I mean, it's a total ripoff, $44. You know, it's probably cost $8 to make. Uh, $44. I buy this Pete Alonzo bobblehead doll. And as I'm waiting in line, I'm thinking, please let there be enough money in my bank account so that I can still get these these items. I said, that'll be pretty embarrassing if the person that was going to throw out the first pitch is not able to pay for the items that he is purchasing. So thankfully there was. Uh, that's the lucky break of having a winning weekend in Atlantic City. But, uh, but it was a fun. A good day all around. A wonderful day. 800-848-9222. Ralph is in New Jersey. Hello, Ralph. Okay. Uh, regarding books, uh, I think there are three books that I can uh, say, and two, two of them I'm reading right now. Uh, in Trump's time, a Peter Navarro, okay? And last on the radio, James Golden, a.k.a. Post Notice. Uh, do me a favor, Bo. Pass a copy uh, of your book to uh, Mr. Morano here. Because the other book, I will take care of. Sending this to him in the uh, mail. The People Behind the Borderline is the third book. Uh, Frankie, your guys, this selling author, Mark Stein. I'll give you a teaser about this book, if I may. Okay. Here's the name. Luis Perry, Puerto Rico, the 51st State. Eleanor Holmes Norton taxation without representation. That's all the teaser I'm gonna give. Just wait till I finish reading this book, and it will find its way to you, and we'll have a teaser. So, Ralph, now, I, Ralph, I, I only understood maybe a fifth of what you said there. What is the name of the book? The people behind the borderline. Ah, okay. How the, the how the states got their shapes too. This was pictured. In a scene on how the states got their shapes got it, in got the it. History Channel. Got it. Okay, Mark Stein is the author, New York Times best-selling author, according to the, uh, the yes. cover jacket uh, of this book. Now, regarding the uh, food stamp, this is just out of curiosity. This question I will ask: How come McDonald's, Wendy's, or Popeye fried chicken they don't accept food stamp? How 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 do you you know explain that, Frankie? Well, because I, I don't – look, I don't pretend to be an expert on this, Ralph, and thank you for the call. My understanding is that's because those are restaurants, and restaurants, I don't believe, are required to accept them. I, I don't know, though. I, I'm very – I want to be very clear here before I give any false information that I do not know why that's the case. Uh, but if you go to a grocery store or a deli or a bodega, they do 
they they do accept all those things. They are required to accept. Hey, um, it turns out in Long Island, just about everybody is getting eaten by sharks. At least it seems that way. You'd look at the coverage. I mean, you turn on the news, you open a newspaper, you turn on the radio, and you think you're living in the movie Jaws or the book Jaws. I I keep waiting for Robert Shaw, God rest his soul, to just come right out onto the news and start telling some old shark war stories. So we formed ourselves into tight groups. You know, it's kind of like old squares in a battle, like you see in a calendar, like the Battle of Waterloo, and the idea was, shark comes to the nearest man, that man, he starts pounding and hollering and screaming, and sometimes the shark go away. Sometimes he wouldn't go away. Sometimes that shark, he looks right into you. Right into your eyes. You know the thing about a shark? He's got lifeless eyes. Black eyes, like a doll's eyes. When he comes at you, doesn't seem to be living until he bites you. And those black eyes roll over white and then... Oh, then you hear that terrible high-pitched screaming. The ocean turns red and... Despite all the pounding and the hollering, they all come in and they rip you to pieces. So it has been a rough start to, for, to summer for some swimmers in the Northeast. On Long Island, there have been five attacks in the past two weeks, including two on Wednesday. Now, some scientists are saying that warmer-than-normal waters may be a factor in more shark encounters. So, all of you that uh, don't care about climate change because you don't care if you're if the Earth is here 100 years from now, now you have a reason to care if you go to the beach. If you don't want to get, um, get eaten by a shark, you got to do something about greenhouse gas emissions. Boom. So these encounters tend to happen when sharks are looking for food. Now, most bites are a test and aren't fatal. Now, a lot of good that does you if you're one of the people that this shark is snacking on. But um, it is important. So Long Island has suffered its fifth shark attack in the last two weeks. In California, Southern California, they're being spotted more than ever. So they're saying, again, that this could be due to the warmer-than-normal waters, along with other environmental factors. So I am always curious, because the year that we had the summer of the shark, apparently there were fewer shark attacks that year than in a normal year. But one of the world's top shark experts said on Friday that it can sometimes seem as if there's an uptick, especially when there are four or five bites in rapid succession in one region, as has happened on Long Island. That's what USA Today said. When this occurs, the news stories get amplified, which can generate the misleading perception that things are different this year, but that is not the case. This year's patterns are part of a continuing long-term trend globally of a consistent number of shark attacks. Um, But the new attacks in Long Island this year are different. So um, that is what it is. You know what state has the most shark attacks? What do you think? 
Florida leads the country in the number of shark bites, 28 in 2021, for, for example. That is 60% of all the unprovoked attacks in the United States, in Florida. So if you don't want to get bit by a shark, stay out of Florida. See, all you people that are thinking of moving there to enjoy the low taxes and the better political climate and the weather, who who needs that? You're going to be living in Sharknado if you move to Florida. You don't need that. So uh, scientific accounts show attacks on people are extremely rare and almost always reflect a test bite. So most victims survive these, thankfully. Uh, and, and again, I can't emphasize enough how rare it is for people to get bit by a shark. The odds of getting bit by a shark are a little less than one in four, four million, according to the International Shark Attack file. In fact, you're 10 times, this is a pretty important, significant statistic I'm about to bring you, you are 10 times more likely to get killed by fireworks than bit by a shark. You're probably 200 times more likely to drown in the ocean than you are to get bitten by a shark. So let's keep our fears in perspective. If you're going to the beach, even on Long Island, chances are pretty good that uh, you're not going to get eaten by a shark. I know Jaws, great film, great book as well. My dad is a guy that passes out from time to time when he sees blood or needles and things of that nature. In fact, a lot of people in my family do. I'm one of the few that doesn't. He was reading that book, Jaws. And you remember the, I I think it was the book, not the film. But you remember that first scene in Jaws with the girl uh, swimming at the beach and she gets eaten by the shark? I think he was reading it. I don't even think he saw the film. And he passed out reading that book, that scene. Because that's how uh, vivid the shark depiction is. And it took a, an emotional toll on him. All right. Um, on to other things. Hey, coming up next, uh, we will discuss Anthony Weiner and the relationship that exes have with one another. Are you divorced? Do you get along with your ex-husband or your ex-wife? I'm curious. Any advice on how to make that work? Obviously, if you don't have children with your ex... You don't really ever need to speak to them again. You're free to totally ignore them. But if you have a child with someone, essentially they're in your life forever. Your relationship with them just changes. So I'm curious if you, of your experience, and I'm going to play you what Anthony Weiner said, but if your ex, if you're a guy, and your ex is now going out with Bradley Cooper, do you view that as a win? I would. 800-848-9222, 1-800-848-9222. Join the Facebook group. Just search on Facebook, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O, Radio Fans and Haters. That's a forum for discussing this, uh, this program, so save your complaints for there. Until next hour, in the words of the great Bob Grant, your influence counts. Make sure you use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Well, 
Good morning, everybody. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, look, divorce is an unfortunate aspect of, of life, right? Um, all too common. Not as common as it used to be. Uh, but uh, my parents are divorced. I think if my parents and step-parents have one, two, three, five. I think they have seven marriages between them. So, um, you know, I have a lot of experience watching divorce as an observer. I've had many friends that are divorced. God willing, I hope never to be divorced. But uh, I know it's very, it's a very jarring thing. It's a very, it's, it's really an awful thing. Uh, when you think about the fact that Two people that have committed to spend the rest of their lives with one another, two people that were so in love that they made the decision to embark on an incredibly unique partnership, they then make the decision to undo all of that, which is just always a mess. It's a mess financially. It's a mess emotionally. So clearly there's something really wrong in these relationships that they're willing to go through all the annoyance, all the rigmarole of getting divorced in order to do so, in order to be away from this person. Now, I'm always interested in couples that are able to be friends after they're divorced. And I think um, I used to talk about this with Juliet Huddy because she was divorced three times prior to marrying her current husband. Um, I think one of her husbands, I think she's friends with one. I don't recall. But uh, I'm... Always fascinated by that. By now, I'd like to think I try to be friends with everybody. I'd like to think, and I, I honestly I can't even fathom my wife divorcing me, uh, and it's like I almost get physically ill thinking about it. But I'd like to think that we would stay friends because we were friends, you know, obviously before we were a couple, and we have a child together. And we need to, you know, make sure we make an effort to get along. As I understand with, you know, there were all these articles about Ivana Trump and Donald Trump. They stayed pretty friendly. Now, when you have children with someone and Donald and Ivana Trump had three children together, that's a different ballgame. You are always going to have a relationship with this person, but your relationship just changes, obviously. If you don't have children, you can, you know never see the person again, right? You know, Curtis, perfect example. Curtis Sliwa married, this is his fourth marriage. I call it really his fourth and a half because, you know, while he was never married with Melinda Katz, they had a domestic partnership and they have two children together. Um, Curtis, I don't think, has seen his first wife, Corinne, or in probably 35 years because you don't really need to. You don't have a relationship with with somebody. If you don't have children, you don't need to see them. So um, Curtis is somebody who does not have a great relationship with his exes, as far as I can tell. Now, it's interesting because his most recent ex-wife, Mary, is married to Governor Patterson, who's basically a colleague of ours now. So he he has to see Mary at all these... Events. All, we're at all the same events together. And they obviously have a son together. So they always are going to, um, you know, maintain something of a relationship. And I was very interested in the discussion that Anthony Weiner had on the radio on Saturday. So Anthony Weiner 
was married to Huma Abedin. Huma Abedin is Hillary Clinton's top aide. Beautiful woman, very accomplished, very intelligent, obviously, very well-spoken, now the author of a best-selling memoir. And now it was reported a few days ago that she is dating Academy Award-winning actor Bradley Cooper. So Bradley Cooper is one of those guys, as a guy, I can almost never tell who's handsome, but he's one of these people that the media says women find handsome. I I can never tell if a guy's handsome, but he's certainly in good shape. Can't dispute that. And he's a very good actor, a very talented actor. He's been in a couple of films that I really enjoyed, Silver Linings Playbook, which is terrific. Uh, He's in uh, American Hustle, which I thought not only is the film terrific, but he's great in it. He was on a a show that I used to watch called Alias. He's in a a lot of uh, comedies, too. He plays um, uh, that jerk in Wedding Crashers. He's very good. Dramatic roles. Limitless. Love that film. Limitless. But uh, anyway, he's going out with Huma Abedin. I do wonder how they met, you know, because they are kind of two different worlds. Anthony Weiner who is on WABC Saturdays uh, from 3 to 5, he was married to Huma. He spoke about Huma now dating this Oscar-winning actor, Bradley Cooper. This is what he said. What is that initial feeling? Initial feeling. Without this stuff that we're talking about in terms of Bradley Cooper, just in the fact when people come up to you and talk about your ex... Well, I'm not a good example because, you know, Huma's still my best friend. She's still so – we talk about everything. We share what's going on in each other's lives. We have Jordan. We have this living arrangement that we live in the same building, and Jordan runs back and forth. And also now Jordan is at the age where he's asking probing questions, and, um. we are, and we're being honest with him. You know, so if he'll see someone that maybe I'm going out to see, and I'll say I'm going out to and, – and he'll – who's that and so but it's not a maybe it's not a typical relationship in that regard is it i this that i i you know i'm i'm crazy about Huma and i'm i, I love her dearly and we, we're, we're different stages in our relationship now and when we're more friends but we're very close so it's not that kind of thing and the other thing about Huma and me and is that the kind of stuff that we went through no one else really understands right right to be in that kind of a cauldron like we were kind of in it together i mean i dragged her into it but she was a very public person in a different kind of way before she even met me um yeah so i don't have any experience experience with that i mean we have a very uh, i you know after years of me holding a lot of secrets and keeping a lot of secrets just the same way i talk about them on the radio now obviously she and i talk about a lot of stuff as as honestly as we can so that was very interesting, very uh, very above board, very civilized. Um, I have to think that's still a little weird. Now, it's great if you're um, co-parenting someone, even if you're if co-parenting a child, even if you're divorced. It's, I would think it's convenient that you're both in the same building. But isn't that weird? Let's say you go out with a, a woman, you come home, oh, there's my ex-wife and the... In the laundry mat, I have to think that's a little weird. Um, what about you? If you learn that your ex-wife is now going out with a star, 
obviously Anthony Weiner and Huma Abedin are in a different position because they're both so well known. But if you, and obviously as as Weiner described, the public manner in which they their marital discord played out, that's something very few people ever have to deal with, thankfully. I can't imagine what that must have been like for both of them. But if you learn your ex-wife is going out with a star, what is your reaction? 800-848-9222. Listening to Curtis Lee and Anthony Weiner, you have two guys with very different approaches to their ex-wives. I, I know Curtis, I think, as well as I can know anybody and uh, I have I've started to get to know Anthony Weiner a little bit, and you could tell they are radically different when it comes to that. And it's very interesting that Mary ended up with Governor Patterson because I worked with Governor Patterson at another radio station about eight years ago, and Governor Patterson offered me one of the best pieces of advice anybody's ever offered me. He said to me, "This is about ten years ago." He said to me, Frank, this is the lesson you need to learn. When you get married one day, the most important factor in choosing a wife, and now I'm waiting, I'm waiting, wondering, is he going to say money? Is he going to say uh, beauty? Is he going to say make sure she's a good mother? None of that. The most important factor you need to select when choosing a wife is you need to pick a woman who knows how to get divorced. I said, what? He says, let me tell you something. I, when I married Michelle, she and I were friends. I was not her first husband. And I knew if things didn't work out between the two of us, that we'd both be able to go our separate ways as adults, very civilized, and we did. And I thought that was very interesting that he told me that, and then he got to observe the Sliwa divorce, and then he ultimately ended up marrying Mary, Someone who, I guess, fit his description of being able to know how to get divorced. So give me your thoughts on the Wiener situation in general and just what your relationship is like with your ex after you break up. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. It's funny. I had some people at this barbecue on Saturday. Um, My friend, I'm not going to mention his name, but he's an old friend of mine. He lives with this, this woman and her two sons. And she was at my house, great, great lady, beautiful woman. And my friend that she is cohabitating with, great guy, very nice, super nice guy. And this woman, I'll call her, I'll call her Michelle. That's not her name, but we'll call her Michelle. Michelle says to me um, that her ex-husband won't even shake her boyfriend's hand. Now, I would never in a thousand years allow my child to live with someone that I didn't meet. And yet not only has her ex-husband not met this guy, he has no desire to meet him, which I find just absolutely insane. Goes to show you, like, there's one end of the spectrum is Anthony Weiner, and the other end of the spectrum is Michelle and her ex-husband. 800-848-9222. You know who um, has an interesting relationship? Neil. You know Neil from Staten Island? Neil and his ex-wife have an interesting relationship. They have both called me on the radio. I think they might be re-falling in love through each other's calls on this radio program. Uh, Alex Barnard is here. You are, how many times are you divorced? Well, none divorced. None. Right, but nice, okay. Yeah. So um, far, so good. In terms of the 
you know, being in terms of how, how do you stay in contact with an ex or something like that? I was um, I was fascinated to hear that you think it's a little weird that you might be somewhat friendly with an ex afterwards. Somewhat um, friendly is fine. I think if you're genuinely friends, I think that's a little weird because you've made the decision to um, totally divorce your lives from one another financially legally spend thousands of dollars in in lawyers fees and everything else and after all that i can't stand you so much and so don't want to be married to you that i'm going to upend my life to make sure that we're separated oh let's go to a movie well so you might think i'm a total weirdo for this one but i mean what's new um, I am friends with two of my exes, actually. No, they're not ex-wives. Yeah, but no, well, see, it's a little different. It, no, I know it's a it's little different, different. But it's, it's like, it's like. You it, can still have a nasty, you can still have nasty, you know, ends to no. any oh, kind of relationship. No. How, how old are you? Hey. How old are you again? Why does, what's it to you? Because there's a difference between an ex-wife no, no, and an ex-girlfriend. It's every difference. I mean, I mean, it's not even, it's not even. There's no possible way you can even, that no, Alice can imagine no, it's not even the what same it's like sport. between an ex-wife and an ex-girlfriend. You go from filing joint tax returns, owning property together, raising a child together to, okay, I, I don't mean, want to see you anymore. That's, I mean, it's <laughs> a totally think it's different not, I still think it's it's doable. That's because you've never been married. Again, how old okay. are you again? What is it to you? 23. Yeah. Okay. You have are, no clue. Are, have you been married? No, I haven't been married. And I tell you right now, I'm not friends with any of my exes either. Okay. Well, that doesn't surprise yeah, anybody. That does. <laughs> I, I mean, you're barely friends with me. I mean, let's be real here. That's true. Yeah. So... <laughs> All right, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Well, I'm, I think you like. I think it's easy to be friends with an ex girlfriend. I think an ex wife. Mm-hmm. If you go to that much trouble to divorce someone, which it is, I mean, it's a horrible situation. And then you decide, all right, we're going to be friends. I mean, an ex girlfriend. That's like. I mean, it's minor league. Minor I mean, league. I guess my point is though that like there are oftentimes circumstances where people break up no matter what kind of relationship it is, marriage. You know, right. dating, et cetera, et cetera, where there are extraneous circumstances. Like, I would never have remained friends with any of my exes that I chose to, had it not been for something that not that neither of us had foreseen. You know what I mean? Or if we didn't share friends. Oh, okay. That's the other big deciding factor. Both of my exes that I am friends with, I share a lot of friends with. And so we decided it would be it wouldn't make any sense for us to just cut off contact because then we have people picking how, sides. How is your I, I can't even believe I'm engaging in this because it's it's so it's so completely different. It's like it's the equivalent of firing a cap gun versus firing a bazooka. That is what you're talking about here. It's no, so come complete, on. Yes. No, it has yes. It is. It's, it's like totally different. You're talking about two people who say they're going to spend the rest of their lives together. Right. Comparing that to two people who went to a movie, who hung out. I mean, what was the longest relationship you've ever been in? Well, like were you at least living with these exes? Uh, the, that was the plan for one of them. Oh, but so uh, yeah. you weren't even living with these? Come on, Alex. I was no, practically no, living. I was no, practically no, living. No, girlfriend with, yeah. is, it's, it's easy to be friends. I'm friends with all my ex-girlfriends. It's fine. It's fine. It's ex-wife. That's the difficulty, in my opinion. 
What do you think? Is Alex all wet here? Uh, 800-848-922. Hey, by the way, how is your uh, budding friendship with uh, Chris and the Catskills going? Oh, uh, yeah, we're like, you know, texting every day, I, you know. It doesn't surprise me. We FaceTime every week, you yeah, know. And both of the, them are just somehow making every story about either of them in that text message. Yeah. And don't forget, Chris in- is an elected official. I, I know. I'm aware of that. Yeah. It's no. incredibly difficult to have a conversation with the guy. Th- I'll that tell you it that. is. I can't, if I, he calls up now, he'll tell you I, just as much about me, too. I, so. I, can imagine, I can imagine that. All right. 800-848-9222. Thank you, Alex. I hope you never get divorced from Callie. Keep her around. Uh, original Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, Original Rick. Yes, good morning, Frank. I got divorced 22 years ago, and uh, he, she hooked up with my best man. Oh! And Yeah, yeah, can you imagine? But believe it or not, I'm still great friends with him. I hardly talk to her. I, I miss him more than I miss her, you know, and, and he's still a great friend because um, I feel sorry for him. Every time he, I talk to him a little bit, like, how, how is she doing? Oh, it's, it's a nightmare. And I remember all those nightmares that I went through. And it's like, thank God she's hooked on to somebody else, you know? Well, I can imagine. Look, I, I think, obviously, if she's going to do something like that, that's not the kind of person you want to be in a relationship exactly. with. Exactly. But exactly. I think your story is very standard in that you're not friends with her. No, not, yeah. not friends. No, yeah. I'm, I'm congenial because, you know, right. and, and I'm... And I don't bring her up to him all the time because it's always a sore spot. I mean, yeah. he's all—you can always—he's got the depressed look on his face that I used to have. You know? <laughs> it's so funny that you say that. Thanks for the call, Rick. I—we had dinner with um, a couple last night, and the fellow that we had dinner with—he's divorced. They're married. Uh, he's married to another woman now, beautiful woman. Um, he's divorced, and his ex-wife married and divorced someone else after him. So he's friendly with her other ex-husband, and they sort of have a bond over the fact that they were both married to this horrible woman, and she drove them both crazy. It's like he, he my friend was telling me, he saw as, she was, as he was leaving the house, the guy had a look on him that said, ah, okay, I see what you were talking about now. You know, imagine that, though. That would be like Curtis's three ex-wives all getting together and hanging out. That would be a little, that would be interesting. That's a talk show I'd love to hear, actually. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Liz here in New York City. Hello, Liz. Hi there. Um, I was married to a Lebanese, and I luckily knew that Lebanese people just think telling the truth is not a very good thing. So I had separate accounts. I made sure I never uh, had had joint tax returns because he lied and cheated on his taxes, I found out later. So um, they just can't tell the truth. But Liz, Liz why, would you, why would you marry somebody like that if you had— He had such charm and was so kind in other ways. He hmm. was an amazing person. He really was. So I, I I, don't think there is perfection in human nature. No, of course not. And he had enough going for him that it um, offset. Huh. And and the culture thinks there's something wrong with telling the truth, and it goes back to being run by the Turks uh, centuries ago. Interesting. Uh, Liz, thank you for the call. By the way, I'm, I can't speak to Liz's analysis of Lebanese men. 
I am sure that um, there are a lot of Lebanese men that are very honest and kind people that would never cheat or do any of the things that Liz said her ex-husband did. But, you know, I I am also interested in the Donald and Ivana situation because he has three children with Ivana. They had a very rough divorce, and it does seem like they were pretty friendly. Now, who knows what actually goes on in in Trump world. But then his second wife, Marla Maples, he has a child with her as well, Tiffany. But you don't get the sense, at least I never did, that he remained that friendly with Marla Maples. But you did get the sense that he, you know, remained kind of tight with Ivana. By the way, I want to thank uh, Michelle Marsh, who I believe, the last I heard from her, she was sending me an email vowing never to listen to this show again. But I'm, I'm glad she has backtracked on that. Uh, she said that Anna, Win- Anna Winter introduced Bradley Cooper to Huma Abedin. Thank you, Michelle. That's, so that's how they know each other. 800-848-9222. Here is the aforementioned Neil on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Neil, tell us how to be friends with our ex-wives. Frank, you're the most unique individual on God's green earth. You can't find your American Express card, but you remember my ex-wife called you seven years ago. She called you once in seven years. And you remember? I feel like I hear from her more often than that. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. Yeah, I Frank. think yeah. so. I think so. I got her on the other line, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I doubt it. I doubt it. Anyway, uh, it's hard to be friends with your ex-wife. You know, when when you think of it, I mean, I tolerate it, and uh, because you figure, look, you're gonna die one day. Uh, why why be enemies? You know, it's not gonna get you anywhere. But then when you think about getting divorced, I mean, I paid for her lawyer, I paid for the kids' lawyer, I paid for my lawyer. It just sticks at you, you know, the, what you pay well, and what right, you go Right, so then, Neil, how do you go through that? Something that's not only financially very taxing but emotionally exhausting and then and then say, all right, well, after all that, um, I'm going to be friends with her. How do you do that? You, you gain 300 pounds from eating. That's <laughs> that's how you cope with it, Frank. I don't, I don't, I don't, I really don't know the answer. Uh, it's just human nature. Either you're going to tolerate somebody or you're not going to tolerate somebody. I mean, if she wants to go out with another star, I would suggest she goes out with Bonzo. That would make me happy. <laughs> the monkey? Yeah. Right. All right. Hey, whatever. 800-848-9222. Donovan is in Canada. Hello, Donovan. Frank, thank you for having me on the show. I love it. It's my honor, Donovan. Well, I uh, kind of a weird situation, but um, I, I should tell you know the get go. I'm actually completely blind. I have no sight whatsoever. So perhaps my relationships are different because of that. But I dated this girl in uh, 2013 for about six, seven months, and uh, she broke up with me. She decided that I wasn't quite, you know, what she was looking for. But I went to her wedding at the end of uh, 2018. Hmm. And her husband and I are really good friends. And I'm really good friends with her. But we're just different people. We just knew that we weren't uh, meant to be together. But I consider her son to be my, my nephew. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, that's great. I, I love hearing that. That's great. I love stories like that. Thank you. I, I mean, I think if you can do, um, obviously, it's always nice to be cordial. I think that's the base. But I guess my question is how you go from cordial to what Anthony Weiner and Huma Abedin have, uh, which is 
really genuinely friendly. No, really genuinely friends. 800-848-9222. Kevin is in New Jersey. Hello, Kevin. Yeah, Frank. So my wife's cousin left her husband for a guy. She was like bartending at an Elks Lodge or something. Met this guy there. She left her, her husband for him. Her husband hooked up with this guy's wife. And now the four of them are best friends. That is outstanding. They all hang out together like as if nothing ever happened. That's a movie. That's a movie. (laughs) Yes, it is. Absolutely. Crazy. I I mean, I could never do it, but, you know, hey, to each his own, right? Exactly. You know what? That's it. There was a Woody Allen movie one time. Thanks, Kevin. There was a Woody Allen movie one time with Larry David called Whatever Works. That's kind of my philosophy when it comes to relationships or anything else. It's whatever works. Whatever works. 800-848-9222. Robert is in Warwick, New Jersey. Hello, Robert. Good morning, Mr. Morano. Please call me Frank. Thank you, Frank. You are one of my favorite talk show hosts. If not my favorite talk show host. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. My ex-wife and I met training for the New York City Marathon. We met as friends. I was looking for a running partner. She was looking for a running partner. So we were friends for a year. And then after that, we started to date, and then we got married. Um, so we have that foundation of respect and uh, um, really caring about each other. You know, I think when you care about somebody, you, you do four things to spell the word care. Communication, appreciation, respect, and empathy. And we had that foundation from the very beginning. Uh, we have two beautiful children together, two daughters. And after 17 years of marriage, we just said, you know what? It's just not working. Um, I was... I was so far, uh, as far as being a soft, you know, um, uh, comforting, and um, I, I was Mr. Softy, and she was Miss Discipline, and it just did not work. It was, it was like we're constantly battling with each other, and uh, but but we got divorced because we both agreed, you know, this isn't working. Let's divorce and let's make it not too painful for our daughters. Ironically, we lived together in the same house for four years after we got divorced because we did not want our children, our daughters, to be too traumatized. We're still friends today, and I was able to convince my ex-wife to go back to her ex, to her boyfriend, who they were having trouble. And I, I, I gently coaxed her to go back to her boyfriend, and now I think they're about to get married, and she credits me with convincing her to give him a second chance. Really? Well, that's wonderful. Yeah. That's great, Robert. Yeah. Yeah. I just want her to be happy. And I want my daughters to see what a healthy, loving relationship is. And I know it might sound strange, but that's what I want. I want my ex-wife to be happy to the point where my girlfriend is angry at me because she thinks I'm too nice to my ex-wife. But I said it's all about the care acronym. Right. Communication, right. appreciation, respect, and empathy. Yeah, I love, I love the acronym, uh, Robert. Something, you know, Bob Wolf, who was in studio the other day, he's a big acronym guy. He's always using acronyms to have phrases. So I love that you're doing the same thing. That's great. I think, I, I think um, that's wonderful. Great. All right. Hey, um, those of you that are holding, if you want to continue to hold, I will get to you. In the meantime, why don't we give away $1,000? If you think you have what it takes to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds, then be the seventh caller right now to 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Because we've been doing pretty well with this. On Friday, we gave away $100. 
The guy got stuck on one question, but he got all the questions right. He got made it through question eight. Hopefully we could do even better today. 800-848-9222. We will do the $1,000 Minute straight ahead. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. And carriage this, I tell you, brother, you can't have one without the other. Love and marriage, love and marriage, it's an institute you can't disparage. Ask the local gentry, and they will say it's elementary. The great Frank Sinatra. Uh, by the way, speaking of marriage, I believe, you know, we have a great listener who's really an enthusiastic listener. He's a participant in the Facebook group, and uh, he's purchased all sorts of items, you know, other side of midnight caps and T-shirts and everything, and posted pictures in there. By the way, if you do that, if you want any of those things, just go to WABCRadioStore.com, and uh, you could search. And if you use the promo code FRANK15, you save 15%. We do want you to post those images where, with you wearing that stuff. But uh, the other day, I meant to give him a shout-out. He went for this nice dinner. Apparently, he and his wife were celebrating their anniversary. So happy anniversary to Frank Fiore and his wife. I don't believe I've ever met Frank Fiore, but he seems like a great guy. And uh, he's somebody that I'm certain I would get along with if I ever met in person. All right, without further ado, it is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Morano. Thank you, Chris Libertini. Paul is in Monroe. Hello, Paul. How are you, Frank? I'm good. I'm good, Paul. Uh, have you heard this content? Hey, Frank, yeah, Frank, go ahead. Yes, I have. Before you get started on a related topic. Mm-hmm. So I'm married 30 years. Whenever I introduce my wife to new friends... I always say I'd like to introduce you to my first wife, um, and that's how I introduce her, and I, uh, I find it funny. Yeah, no, I like that. Yeah, I think uh, you and I have uh, similar senses of humor, believe me. Um, all right. Uh, I, if you know the rules, I won't, uh, I won't bother re- reiterating them. You ready to go? I am. Okay. What device is used to make phone calls? Telephone. What day do Christians observe the Sabbath? Christian Sunday. What ex-wife of Donald Trump passed away last week? Havana. What is the capital of California? Sacramento. Who was the first president to live in the White House? Oh, boy, Frank. Early on, First early one. on, early on. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't think it was George Washington. Um, so take a guess. Guess someone else. Uh, Adams. Who played Rachel on the sitcom Friends? That would be uh, Jennifer Aniston. What Major League Baseball player has hit the most career home runs? 
Barry Bonds. Uh, that is correct, but we are out of time. You got you got stuck on that John Adams question, but you you did get them all right, Paul. Um, you did very well. You got seven correct. Uh, I'm going to put you on hold. Uh, give Kenneth your information, and we'll send you a consolation prize. Okay. Okay, thank you. All right, thank you. By the way, I'm looking forward to that home run derby tonight. Uh, I am uh, really hoping I got my my uh, I got my brand new Pete Alonso bobblehead doll ye- uh, yesterday, and I'm looking forward to seeing him crush it and get a third home run derby title. He has got to be the first Met ever to win the home run derby. I don't think Piazza ever won it. I don't think Strawberry ever won it. So um, the fact that he's already won it twice, I, I love Pete Alonso. Again, just strikes me as a great athlete and a great guy. So uh, I am really rooting so hard for him. I'm going to set up my bobblehead doll right next to my television set and watch, uh, watch the Home Run Derby tonight. Um, by the way, oh, you know, you know what I suggested to John Katsimatidis, um, the owner of WABC and the Staten Island Ferry Hawks? Tell me if you think this is a good idea. I suggested that he do a John Katsimatidis bobbing head doll night at the Ferry Hawks. So something like the first thousand fans get a free John Katsimatidis bobbing head doll. Wouldn't that be cool? You get him in the, you know, with a WABC uh, emblem on there. So it's free advertising for the radio station, too. And you get him behind the mic, you know. I think that would be really neat. I um I think that would be a big hit. So I'm hoping that. I've suggested that to him. Hopefully he, he thinks that's a good idea. And then we could all do one, right? We could have a Sid, Bernie and Sid bobbing head doll night, right? Maybe a Curtis Lewa bobbing head doll. Curtis looks a like, like a bobbing head doll, you know? All right. Um, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anything we're talking about. Hey, one thing I did want to mention, it, Gil Hodges finally inducted into the, uh, well, he's going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. So he's part of this class of 2022. I believe the uh, the date is July 22nd, so it's uh, through the 25th. So it's next weekend. He's going to officially be inducted into the Hall of Fame. He is somebody that, um, as a player, his numbers were, it was like right on the borderline. Could be, might not be. Could be, maybe not. But there are so many bums in the Hall of Fame, and there's so many people that Gil Hodges has better numbers than that are in the Hall of Fame that I think he should make it as a player. But then, if you look at his accomplishments as a manager, I mean, his work with the 1969 New York Mets alone is great. And one of the many things I love about Gil Hodges as a, not, you know, as a personality and as a historical figure and as a Met fan and a New York baseball fan is Gil Hodges could have really lived anywhere. And he chose, he made the decision to live in Brooklyn. And I think his family still resides in Brooklyn. And I, I don't know, I think that said a lot about him, that he lived right where he played and right where he managed. I think that was great. I really just, I always gave him so much credit for that. Could have lived anywhere in the world, chose to live in Brooklyn. So congratulations to uh, Gil Hodges. I enjoyed hearing Peter King's commentary on, uh, on him the other day. Uh, hey, oh, the other sports-related thing that I did want to mention is did you hear who is getting his uh, 
gold medal back? Jim Thorpe. Yes. Jim Thorpe, who was a star athlete, probably one of the greatest athletes who has ever lived. He is getting his gold medal from the 1912 Olympic Games restored. It's, not, it's, it's been restored. He is now restored as the sole winner of the pentathlon and the decathlon at the 1912 Olympic Games. That's the word from the International Olympic Committee, I think, on Friday. The families of the men who received gold after his disqualification, they endorsed this restoration, saying their ancestors never viewed themselves as the rightful winner. See, what happened was Jim Thorpe won these gold medals in 1912. Then in 1913, the International Olympic Committee made a decision to strip Thorpe's gold medals for having played minor league baseball. This is among the most controversial decisions in sports history. And there's a foundation named after his Native American name sustained momentum to fully restore his honors. He was born as Wa-Tho-Huck in 1887, a member of the Sac and Fox tribe in Oklahoma. He died in 1953, and when he died, his obituary in the New York Times called him probably the greatest natural athlete the world had seen in modern times. So uh, I'm glad he's getting this restored. It's a nice thing. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Ivan in Woodhaven. Hello, Ivan. Uh, on the previous topic, you do re- you do remember the uh, two popular New York Yankee ball players who not only traded wives, they tra- they traded their families. Yeah, um, that was uh, what Fritz Peterson was one, right? That's right. And who was the other? Mike Kekich. I, I I would not have remembered left-handed, that. Left-handed pitcher, mediocre, but Fritz Peterson was a twenty-game winner. Oh, yeah. I know that. That's that's why I, I remember his name. Yeah. 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 That is that's pretty crazy. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Anything else you want to add there, Ivan? Uh, I'll give you a quick personal story because my current girlfriend is not listening. Uh, I have an ex-girlfriend who dumped me thirty years ago. But we, we remain friends and have been friendly almost from the get-go. And on rare occasions, we'll uh, go to Chinatown or something. And I always uh, introduce her as my wife just as a joke. And that's uh, just a little thing that I, we do. And Well, uh, Ivan, I, I hate to tell you this, but we have your current girlfriend on the line right now. She's been listening this entire time. I was time. of that. Yeah. Uh, now, you know, they do that on those FM shows. I think that's all staged. It's a, I know, like, a KTU does that. Some of the shows do that. That's all just it's all an bought act, and paid right? for. Yeah, yeah, it's lame. Uh, eight, but that's fun, though. I like those. 800-848-9222. Larry is in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry. Hello, Frank. I just want to ask you a question. Anything. Don't you? Okay. Don't Within you reason. find it? Uh, don't you find it a bit hypocritical? Yes. That the, that, that the Hall of Fame uh, will admit somebody who has borderline statistics for sentimental reasons, but yet they will ban one of the greatest players of all time, okay, because uh, he's, he's, because they view him as a bad person. 
And we're talking about Pete Rose. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you could make the same argument about Barry Bonds. I mean, we're in a situation now, when you think about it, Pete Rose has more hits than any player in history, not in the Hall of Fame. Barry Bonds has more home runs than any player in history, not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Look, I can't argue with that. You know, everybody has been calling me out all night or all morning because of my hypocrisy on the uh, Saudi Arabia issue on Twitter and via email. People have been saying uh, people have been saying, oh, you know, how could you be in favor of diplomatic relations with Kim Jong-un and dealing with Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin and Iran and all of a sudden Mohammed bin Salman and the Saudis, that's what you have an issue with. And you know what my response to them is? The same thing I would say to you on the Hall of Fame, Larry. Hypocrisy is the tribute that vice pays to virtue. Bottom line. I don't run away from hypocrisy. I I embrace hypocrisy. Happily. Happily, 800, I am a happy hypocrite. 800-848-9222. Peter is in Pennsylvania. Hello, Peter. Good morning, Frank. Hey, Frank, you know where Jim Thorpe is buried? Is it in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania? It is in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. There is a big monument uh, right along the road there. Uh, it is, uh, he's entombed there. And the of <clears throat> that town... It's fascinating. It was a cold. Uh, Peter, you're coming in and out. You're coming in and out. But I have been to Jim Thorpe. Uh, I went on a whitewater rafting trip there a few years ago with my uh, siblings, my parents, and uh, my my now wife and my, my Uncle John. And we had a great time. It seems like a great community. Really nice. 800-848-9222. Joe is in Newburgh. Hello, Joe. Joe. Joe has found something else to do. Eddie's in Babylon. Hello, Eddie. Hi. Listen, I went to uh, Big Jim Thorpe rafting in, I think it was Pennsylvania. And I always wonder who Big Jim Thorpe was. And now you've given me some of the history. I also want to say that I've dated ex-girlfriends on an intellectual basis. That's how we started out. You know, you start out as friends and uh, with intellect. Then I've had the, the sexy models, and you can't you can't be friends with them because they're seductive. You know, they pull you in like an octopus and then spit you out like a piece of that. Chocolate. That they do. That they do, Eddie. That they that they do. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. E Frank is in Astoria. Hello, E Frank. Yes, hello, Frank. Yes, it's, it's been a while since I talked to you on the air. Yes, I've missed you. Yeah, let me tell you a story. You know, my I basically don't believe in divorce because uh, I've been baptized, First Holy Communion, and uh, Catholic Confirmation. Well, they don't allow but divorce. Are you married, E. Frank? Uh, I'm attempting to get married. Oh, okay. Let me tell you my story. Please. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, you know, my parents uh, were married Catholic, and, you know, they got divorced. They fought like animals, like cat and dogs for years. They couldn't understand each other. And they waited 46 years to to get divorced from the late 60s. Uh, and they set a poor example to me. And for years, I've been attempting to continue dating different women, and they just didn't were, weren't interested. They, they actually would reject me, say, you know, I don't understand your religious beliefs, and I don't understand your family's background, and I, I really don't understand. And, you know, it, that's part of life, you know. 
different strokes for different folks. I'm sorry, Frank, that I have to tell you my situation, but, you know, people get divorced all the time. It's, it's, Donald Trump has been divorced many times, and, and you can notice that they just try to get it right, and they just never get it right, and it's not easy. That, that's exactly right. Thank you very much. 800-848-9222. Christina is in New Jersey. Hello, Christina. Hey, good morning, Frank. Morning. Frank, you're 36 years old, Frank. Beg your pardon? I said you're 36 years old. No, I'm not. People keep, yes, you are. People keep asking you. You, you don't tell them. Uh, anyway, that's not true. Let me uh, tell you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, let me tell you. Um, I was married. I was, I was married before. Very good friends with my, my ex-husband. Had a daughter with him and everything. My whole family loved him. My husband now, we married for 10 years, but I met him when he was going through a divorce, and mm. it was really very, very bad divorce. He hates his wife. But my question to you, Frank, if you don't mind me asking, sure. what would you do? Because his daughter is getting married next year, and, of course, my husband needs to go. But I don't feel comfortable being around his ex after everything that she Oh, no. Him. Well, you got you got to go. You know, I see that this arises all the time at both weddings and funerals is you have couples that are estranged from one another and their current mates interacting with one another. Look, you, you don't have to, um, you, you or he don't have to make a big show of being pals with them. You go, you go, you go to the wedding. You're there to celebrate uh, the person getting married. You say a polite hello and you move on. You move on. I'm sure you're not going to be sitting together, right? I mean, you move on. You say yeah. hello and you move on. Christina, thank you for the call and the inaccurate age information. 800-848-9222. Where did you 15? Those of you that are holding, please, you know, you're welcome to comment, but it's going to be 15 seconds. And for the rest of you, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame. We have four open lines. Call in at 800-848-9222. Say whatever you want for 15 seconds. And uh, as Donald Trump said to uh, two-thirds of his wives, I won't be long. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. We are just moments away uh, from your time to shine. Uh, you can say whatever you like for 15 seconds. All you have to do is dial 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. It is time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Faith. Fred in Yonkers. Hey, good morning, Frank. I was at this party with a guy from Melbourne. He was telling me that the koala is a bear. And I said, no way. It doesn't have the right qualification. Oh, hey Larry in Brooklyn. Yes, I would be willing to bet that Pete Rose 
never bet against his own team. Okay, so uh, I don't I don't think there's any comparison between him and Barry Bonds, whose transgressions were on the field while Pete Rose's were off the field. Mike in New Jersey. Good morning, Frank. Frank, I am hypocrisy. And unless you're showered and your hair is washed with regular shampoo, I am not embracing you. <laughs> Joe in North New Jersey. <laughs> yes, Frank. Uh, for getting married, instead of the two words uh, I do, they should be "I'll try." Uh, that is a that is a fine amendment to those vows. Absolutely, maybe I'll I'll work that into my next uh, wedding ceremony that I do. 800-848-9222-1-800-848-9222-1-2-3-4-5 Open lines. If you want to jump on board before we run out of time, Russell in White Plains. Hey, Ivana Trump was very afraid of COVID-19. She didn't go out for two years, and then she's going to take a trip to Europe, gets a vaccine, passes out on the stairs she's used for 30 years, another COVID-19 death. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, I don't even think Russell believes the stuff that he says. He, he's a very entertaining guy. We may have to have him in studio one day. Chris in the Catskills. Frank, you've been watching Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. The references to multiple spouses. Lee Zeldin is an idiot. It's not that hard to make up an independent party line. He deserves to lose two to one. Rick and Tom's River. Good morning, Frank. I just want to say, Frank Morano is 58 years old, and you just Grecian formula. The, uh, I do not use Grecian formula. Joe in Orange County. Hey, Frank, you're a Leo, right? No comment. I'm on, Frank. August 5th, Frank. I'm on the 8th. I, I, maybe we'll do a joint party this year. Eddie in Babylon. Ivana Trump, rest in peace. Jim Thorpe, rest in peace. And Frank Morano has that best late night show going, baby. Oh. Yeah. Well, on that note, Eddie, I think we better end it there before the Sid's Moron guy calls in and, and, and takes some of the... the joy out of uh out of our final comments there hey uh i'll be back tomorrow tomorrow we got something fun here let me pull up tomorrow's list terry mantell is going to be here that's going to be interesting uh i'm not going to get into what terry's going to be talking with uh, with us about but it's going to be very interesting you're going to want to listen to that uh, if you want to stay in touch if you um want to email me you can do so frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Also on Twitter, at Frank Morano. And I'm going to post some Carmine photos from our day in Coney Island uh, at Morano Vision on Instagram. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Vision. Hopefully your week is off to a great start. It's going to be hot out there in the Northeast, so uh, take it easy. Enjoy Use it as an excuse to have some ice cream. Frank Morano. Good day. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.